Well, good evening. Welcome. Glad you're with me. It's Brian Noonan in for Nick D. Again tonight, Nick is taking the week off. I get to play with you for the rest of the week. That sounded strange, but you know what I mean. We are going to have a good time. 312-981-7200. That's how you get involved in the conversation tonight. And when you call that number, what's that number again, Tom? 312-981-7200. You'll be talking to Tom Hush. He's the executive producer of The Big Broadcast. If you're nice to him, you get to me. That's how it works. Big show planned. Oh, my goodness. Steve Dale, pet expert extraordinaire, will join us after midnight. Michael Osaki from Baseball in the Attic will join us. If you have some sports memorabilia, yes, I'll get it out. It's early in the show. I get all my mispronunciations out of the way before 1110. Michael will be here to uh, kind of appraise what you've got. If you have some baseball cards, if you have a football that's signed by, I don't know, Otis Wilson, anything you have, Michael is a certified appraiser. He will talk to you about that. We're going to talk about uh, some weird Father's Day gifts and uh, a, uh, a clothing item that was just voted the most iconic. So that and a whole lot more, and we'll, we will keep you updated on anything that happens um, around with the protests. If you are in an area that is seeing a lot of activity, please feel free to keep us informed. 312-981-7200. I'm here to talk to you throughout the morning. But now I get to talk to a guy that you've heard on this show many times before. He is is the host and program director of Landline Now, and uh, the website is landline.media. Mark Redding is here. Hi, Mark. Welcome. Well, thank you for having me on the show. It is my pleasure. Uh, Tom could not could not talk you up enough, so just know that the pressure <laughs> is on. It's there's going to be okay. The, the bar has been set very high, so I'm very excited to talk to you. Uh, we're going to talk because this is this is something. If if you're like me and you just drive a car, you're on the roads and you see trucks all the time. And a lot of us, myself included, and I, you know, I'm embarrassed to say this, you don't think about the fact that these men and women are out there. Uh, during a pandemic, during civil unrest, horrible weather, it doesn't matter. Stuff has to get where it has to go. And so it's its very interesting to talk to you because there's a lot of perspectives out there that, quite frankly, I, I know nothing about. Uh, but let's start with let's start with a story out of Minnesota. There was a lot of coverage about a, uh, a Minnesota trucker. He was arrested on suspicion of assault charges because he drove his tanker into a crowd of protesters on I thirty five in Minneapolis. That, on the surface, you go, that's horrible. But that's not all there is to this story, right? Absolutely. Uh, the man's name is Bogdan Vichurko. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And uh, basically looking at what the Minnesota officials are saying now, both the uh, folks from the Department of Public Safety and I believe the governor's office, they are saying this does not appear to be, based on the camera footage they have, a deliberate act. They had closed the highway but uh, Mr. Vichurko was actually already on that section of the highway after before they got it closed. Oh, jeez. So he was already on the way. As soon as he saw this crowd of people, um, the first thing that happened is there was someone on a bicycle that basically rode in front of his truck. Luckily, he was not fully loaded, and that makes it a whole lot easier for a rig that size to stop, and he was able to stop in time. Um, and it's, it's kind of one of those that the story goes bad, then good, then bad, then good. Uh, you know, he's yeah. traveling with the semi into a crowd, but then he avoids hurting anyone. People pull him out of the truck and start hitting him, but then other protesters come over and protect him. And uh, But it, it appears at this point that uh, uh, Mr. Vichurko will probably uh, 
he's out of jail now, right. and I'm I'm curious if he will face charges at all as more details of this come out. It's a terrible mistake, and part of it is like so many things this year. The situation on the ground, wherever these protests are taking place, is just changing by the minute, and it's hard for everyone to keep up with it. Well, that's um, I, I had two questions that I wanted to ask you based on what you've said so far. One, uh, we we even if we're not well versed in the trucking industry, a full load is everything is packed, part load for a truck for a truck that size that uh, that he was driving with the load that he had on it. How long does it take to stop? Because I would imagine it's oh got to take a long time. Yeah, and I, I think it's like the length of maybe two football fields. I would have to check on that Whoa. because braking technology changes. Right. But it takes these things a long time to stop. And yeah. they've got all kinds of, first of all, their braking systems, the basic brakes are uh, absolutely amazing in their ability to stop a vehicle that size but then they also have if you've ever heard one of them slow down you hear this kind of sound that's called an engine compression brake uh diesel engines uh a lot of the force comes from them compressing the air when the pistons are going up before the engine fires and uh basically it releases that compression it opens a valve so that air doesn't compress and it it provides a massive amount of horsepower in braking capacity typically if you hear it it means that someone hasn't got a really great muffler on their rig <laughs> uh because a lot of people use them and you don't hear them okay uh, the most common term uh there's a popular brand called jacobs brand uh engine brakes and so a lot of truckers still refer to all of them even the ones that are not that brand as jake brakes okay i've heard that i've heard that term before are is that the same and, and again pardon my ignorance is that the same as the air brakes like if you're pulling up to a, the toll booth and you'll see no air brakes uh trucks uh, something like that well air brakes are the 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 kind of brakes that every vehicle has so if it says no air brakes that's saying don't stop okay then i must maybe I, maybe i'm reading it, I, I read it wrong well okay. i've actually seen signs that said that because they the people that made the signs mixed up the engine compression brake, which okay. is the noisy one, so that's versus okay. the air brake. Um, all of the brakes on a rig that size are activated by compressed air. Okay. Um, and some of them will have disc brakes like your car on the front, but most of them use the old-style drum brakes. All right. Let's get back to the uh, to this incident on I-35 in Minneapolis. Now, you mentioned, and, and we all know this, things things with these protests change by the second. How difficult is it for a trucker that's going in? They know, you know, I'm, I'm driving into this city. I've heard the news. I know there's stuff all over. Do they have any different sort of communication uh, than, than a regular driver? Are they in, I'm sure they're in contact with other truckers. But even then, it's got to be really difficult to figure out where things are happening. I, I think so. And a lot of it is um, people tend to think that all these trucks are part of large fleets. In fact, uh, most trucking companies are very small. Uh, sometimes, in fact, 96% of motor carriers, trucking companies, have 20 or fewer trucks. And if you get down to 10 or fewer trucks, it's still 90% of all motor carriers. So a lot of these folks, I mean, if it's a large company where you have a dispatcher, I really think they've got an obligation to inform their truckers and keep an eye on events like this. Uh for the, the trucker who is alone in that rig and depending on himself, um, 
it's very hard because, yes, he can turn on the radio, but if he doesn't happen to be on a station that carries that news, right? and he is a guy who is, I mean, half of all trucking companies are one-truck operations. So he's just going out there not knowing that something has blown up in front of him. And, uh, uh, you know, I think some folks think, well, why do they even go into these areas? But remember, these are the folks that bring the medical supplies to your hospital. They bring the groceries to your grocery store. They're bringing fuel. And, in fact, that's what Mr. Bercherko was doing right before this incident. He had offloaded some fuel at a uh, gas station. Mark, we're so, gonna, let's take a quick break. I want to keep talking about this, but uh, because I want to, it seems very difficult to me, somebody who's driving into one of these areas. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about extra precautions that the, the truckers may be taking. And if you're on the road, 312-981-7200, you want to weigh in. Mark Reddick is my guest. It's Brian Noonan in for Nick on 720 WGN. We're talking all things trucking all over the road, truckers, local truckers. Uh, it's a it's a world that if you're not in it, a lot of us just take it for granted. Sometimes we, Mark, and I, I hate to say this, sometimes you might curse if you get behind a truck on a ramp because they, you know, takes them a little longer to move and you're like, oh, I'm in a hurry. Little do we think about sometimes that those men and women are getting everything we need to where it has to be. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, they're not trying to go that slow. They're probably trying to go as fast as they can, but uh, it, it just as it takes a while to stop that much yes. weight, it takes a lot to get that much weight going. Oh, definitely. Now, we were talking about uh, this uh, this man, Bogdan Verchurko, in Minnesota. He was on I-35. He was on the stretch of I-35 when the authorities closed it because of the protests. So he's kind of, he's stuck in the middle. Uh, there was a lot, as you said, There, people pulled him out of his truck. Some were beating him. Then other protesters came and helped him. Now he's been released from jail. They're saying they, they haven't decided on charges. Their charges are pending the completion of the investigation. But my question is, how how can a truck driver prepare when they're coming in you know, we've had we've had a long few days here in Chicago with protests and demonstrations, uh, peaceful at some points of the day, violent and horrific at, later in the day. What are truckers doing, or what is the industry doing to to tell the drivers, listen, uh, you're going into some really hot spots. This is how you should protect yourself. Well, the first thing is. Um you know, anybody going into a place with a rig that size is either picking up freight or dropping off freight. Call your shipper or receiver and ask them, because obviously if that's where you're going, then if the action is right there, they may tell you to hold off for a few hours or wait until the next morning. Um, the other thing is don't be afraid to call the local police department's non-emergency number. Um, you know, you can look them up online. Google's a wonderful thing. And uh, give them a call and ask them, tell them your route going into the town and ask them if it's safe or ask them for an alternative route that's legal to run a truck on. And and that's another thing is, uh, you know, in Chicago, it's kind of interesting. You'll be going down a street that has uh, an 80,000 pound limit. And sometimes suddenly you've got a 72,500 pound limit. Well, your truck didn't suddenly oh, shed yeah. 7,500 pounds, wow. um, and, and that can happen. Um, you've, you've, of course, got to be very aware of the height of bridges. Right. Um, and there's some very unfortunate video of some truckers that uh, get caught on that one. But obviously, you want to ask them for a route that is approved for trucks. 
if the one that you're normally going to take isn't safe. And the most basic thing is if you're going down the road and you see a crowd, stop, figure out how to turn around and go a different direction. Well, that that, that um, all makes sense. It's a, but all right, let me ask you that now. And I'm going to say this is the last time I'll say this, but excuse me. Some of my questions are probably going to seem, they're going to be very basic to you, but I'm sure they're not basic to a lot of people. How, how can you turn one of those big rigs around if you're just on, you know, if you're coming down Michigan Avenue or one of the one of the surface streets here in Chicago and all of a sudden you come a, upon a crowd, it's hard enough to do a three-point turn in a Hyundai, let alone an 18-wheeler. Yep. Uh, <laughs> the way you can turn it around is with great difficulty. Um, what a lot of them will do is um, I've, I've been amazed sometimes at how far some of these folks can back these rigs up. And, uh, you know, you've, I've, I've heard of cases where people are, you know, a mile down a road uh, past their last opportunity to turn off, and they discover they can't go any further, and they oh. back that truck up. Wow. Um, and if they can find any place, like a side street or something like that, where they can back the trailer into that and then come out forward and go the other direction, um, they, they really are good at maneuvering them, but ultimately with the truck and the trailer, you're talking about a 75-foot-long vehicle. So uh, sometimes the answer is you can't. You just got to back up until you can. Yeah. And uh, uh, that's another one where you want to call the police non-emergency number <laughs> and say, okay, this is where I am and this is the situation um, I, I can back this thing up, but obviously the other cars are going to find that very surprising. What would you prefer that I do? Um, <laughs> yeah, that would be, if I was behind that truck, I would be very surprised when it started backing up. Yep. And, uh, uh, the other thing is, you know, not everybody in a car is paying such great attention. Yes. Uh, we've all seen those kind of bumpers, the two vertical bars and then the horizontal bar at the bottom of them which the truckers call an ICC bumper, named after the agency that first required them. And those are theirs for a reason, because it's not uncommon for people to rear-end a tractor-trailer. That just, uh, that's got to be awful for the, the, uh, the trucker, because you're, you're driving something that's huge. How does somebody not see that? That's what I don't, you know, I, under, I know how they don't, because they're looking at their phone, or they're distracted, they're not paying attention. But it's like, you're doing everything you can just by being giant on the road. You should be able to be seen. It doesn't make doesn't make much sense. Uh, Trucker Rich wants to jump in with us. I'm talking to Mark Reddick. He's the host and program director of Landline Now. Landline.media is the website. Trucker Rich, how are you? I'm doing good, guys. How are you guys tonight? I'm good. Oh, I'm, I'm doing good. I lost. Please get Mark back, Tom. Um, I lost Mark for a minute, uh, Rich, but you wanted to talk about protecting the truckers. Yeah, what I've seen, you know, friends that are driving trucks and stuff are doing that are having to go into the cities and stuff, they're uh, putting hose clamps around their uh, glad hands. The glad hands are the quick connect, disconnect for the trailer air brakes. Okay. So if you, so if you pop the service, if you pop the emergency line, that locks your trailer. Oh, now I lost Rich. Okay. I got... Wait for what? All right, I'm sorry. Mark, we got you back. We lost Rich. Rich, call back. Uh, all right, Mark is locked now. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of phone issues tonight, Mark. I apologize. Uh, but, it, it's okay. Everybody's having them. But Carol wants to jump on. Hi, Carol. Hi, how you doing? Doing well, thanks. Yeah, I just want to tell you that those, tra- those tankers, they've got baffles in them, and when you hit the brakes, 
you know, the material inside of there, there they, it sloshes back and forth. You know, some of those trailers don't have baffles, and then the surge is even stronger. Even though you have your foot on the brake, it will push the truck forward. Whether you like it or not, it's going to keep going. Jeez. About what? What's the what's the weight of a full load of uh, something in a tanker? Uh, boy, that's a good question. Uh, it uh, legal limit is usually around seventy two thousand. Holy cow! Uh, with a special use permit, it might be seventy three thousand two hundred and eighty. Man, and now have you had to have you had to slam on the brakes with a uh, tanker full of liquid? Oh yes. <laughs> that doesn't. It does not sound pleasant, Carol. It's really very scary and exciting all at the same time. <laughs> and how long have you been driving? Thirty years. Wow, good for you. Good for you all over um, all over the country. All, all over the country, um, all the states. I'm a retired teamster, and I miss it like old hell. Best best place to drive. Um. Well. Nowhere. Nowhere. All right. <laughs> there you go. Oh, it's a nightmare, but it's never a dull moment. All right. Well, Carol, thanks for the call. Be careful out there. Oh yeah. Take Thank care. you very much. You're Bye. very welcome. All right. We got the, we got trucker Rich back. Rich, I've got everything straightened out. I like to get all the mistakes okay. done in the first 28 minutes of the program. That's good. I I thought maybe it was the black helicopters. Uh, uh, listen, you, you mentioned something about uh, rubber hoses and quick links, and I yeah. got I panicked. Yeah, the uh, uh, glad hands are the quick disconnects for the trailers, and I've seen pictures uh, from friends on Facebook that have been putting hose clamps around them. You know, like the radiator hose clamps to keep them from disconnecting when they're going into some of these cities, so they can't pop their you know airlines off. Okay, and uh, stop the trucks. And they're also taking a passenger seatbelt and wrapping it around the uh, door door handles and poles on the passenger side, and then latching it, you know, to the seatbelt latch so they can't open up the door. Have you ever been in a situation like that where you had to drive into somewhere where uh, things were not you didn't feel safe? Oh yeah, a couple times, but you know that that's a whole other story. But yeah, yeah it's it's that way, you know, sometimes, but. Yeah, and then I heard that person talking about backing up. Yes, that's Mark Reddick. He's with us now. Yeah, I, uh, I, I just caught part of it when Tom got me back online. I uh, used to haul precast bridge beams and stuff, and one time the the pieces are set on the trailer in a specific, like one end of the concrete bridge bridge beam has got is called the marked end. Okay. And the contractor will say marked end to cab or marked marked end to rear. So when their crane picks it up, they can handle it. Well, the contractor told us one time when we were delivering a bridge out in the country, they told us they told them to put it on the wrong way in the trailer. So to get, we got to the job site and told we had to turn around and back, you know back up, and turn around. Well, we had to back up seven miles to turn around and then back up another seven miles to get back to the crane. And there was fifteen of us. Oh. Wow! You backed up so, seven miles. It was seven miles to turn around and then seven miles back to the crane out in the country on a gravel road. That's crazy. That's crazy. Well, Rich, be careful out there. Thank you for the call. Yep. 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 All right, Mark. Now, we're going to, I want to switch gears when we, after we take our break because, uh, we're talking about we're talking about riots and and disturbances now, but for the last few months, 
Uh, truckers all over the country have been dealing with the COVID-19 just like everybody else. Uh, some news coming out of the DOT, but I, I, you also the cover story of uh, Landline Magazine is the driver's perspective of COVID-19. So we're going to talk about that a little bit on the other side. I promise I will not disconnect you again. But, <laughs> Sounds good. Listen, I'm, I'm only as good as my last disconnection, so uh, take it for what it's worth. I'm 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 standing by. Fantastic. Mark Reddick <laughs> is the host and program director of Landline Now. Landline.media is the website. If you are on the road or you have a, a question about trucks or trucking, 312-981-7200. We'll do that after we do this on WGN. Brian Newton in for Nick on 720 WGN, talking to Mark Reddick. He's the host and program director of Landline Now. Uh, Landline.media is the website uh, where you can uh, where you can hear Mark or read about Mark, read about all the uh, things that are happening in the trucking industry. Now, like any other essential workers, Mark, the truckers have to be out during this pandemic. And I know in the last few days we've almost forgotten that we are still in the grips of a pandemic, but we are. Uh, the Department of Transportation uh, released some figures saying they're going to uh, give highway and motor carriers 2.1 million facial coverings. That's, uh, you know, because... It's got to be it's got to be difficult for a driver to go from one place where you're required to wear facial coverings to another state where you're not or one town everything's wide open the next city they go to things are uh, things are completely different. Well, and of course, uh, every year when flu season approaches, uh, we get a doctor who specializes in truckers to come on our show to talk about flu prevention because the influenza uh, kills several thousand people every single year, uh, COVID is kind of like uh, uh, the flu on crack, I guess. But uh, uh, we always talk about the fact, and this doctor has said many times, truckers are more susceptible to getting things like this because they keep crossing state lines. It's in the nature of their work. They have to go in and out of all kinds of places. They have to come into contact with people. And so getting masks to these folks uh, was vitally important. And the other thing is, is that they don't have access to a lot of things. Um, You know, just a doctor's office. How many doctor's offices have a parking lot that can accommodate a tractor trailer? Right. Not many. Are there and are, not, are uh, things being done to remedy that? I, I thought I read somewhere where, and, and it's not widespread enough for sure. But there are there are some doctors' offices near near truck stops and things like that where where these truckers can pull in and get medical attention if they need it. There are some. Um, they are not frequent and okay. and they are not common, and that's one of the things that's kind of a, a constant ongoing thing. Uh, doctors dentists, pharmacies, a lot of this stuff just is not set up for truckers to get into. Um, there are some truck stops that do have doctors, but like I said, it's, it's very, very rare. Okay. Um, and um, telemedicine has been a real gift to these folks. Um, oh, it, sure. it can't cover everything, but it can help with a lot of things. And there's, uh, there's a growing move toward trying to get truckers taken care of that way. But, uh, you know, a lot of these folks have secondary conditions, um, um, obesity, diabetes. These are more common among truckers than they are in the general population. And if you think about it, when they're on the road, most of the food that's available to them is the worst possible stuff yeah. to eat. 
and then they sit in the truck for 10 hours at a stretch, sitting down. Yeah, it's not conducive to a very active lifestyle. Right, and a lot of them really battle to try and get some physical activity in whenever they can, but, um, you know, for someone who is so important to keeping the nation moving, there's just not uh, a lot for them. And, I mean, the truck stops do what they can, but ultimately uh, their fuel stops with extras. Yeah, and how, and how difficult has it been for, you know, they're already they're already struggling to get to get those kind of services, and now during this uh, pandemic, a lot of the truck stops have cut their services back. So what are what are these people doing? Well, in, in a lot of cases, struggling. Um, the restaurants closing down was a a huge problem because they have to eat. Right. Um, luckily, at least the fueling stations uh, at these places stayed open. But uh, there was a real thing in trying to help truckers. Um, we set up some things. There's a, a on that landline uh, dot media page. There's a logo that says COVID nineteen facts for truckers. We're trying to tell them where there is safe parking to take their rest period, where there are restaurants that are open, uh, what the state restrictions are in each state, what the federal restrictions and orders are, so that we can get them that information to make it easier for them to operate. But uh, it it has been difficult and uh, one of the things that uh, our show is produced by a group called OOIDA it's the owner operator independent driver association which is a trade organization for truckers and they really pushed hard to get the uh, DOT to help provide masks to protect truckers they've also been trying to push them to find some way to get testing so truckers can find out if they have this or not uh, and I think that there is, is still a plan, but that's a bit more complicated than the masks. Yeah. But I, I have to say, I compliments to the DOT, and you don't hear that often from people in trucking. They've brought these masks out to where the truckers are. Good. And that is uh, wonderful and, and much appreciated. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the $2 million. I think there was a $3 million distribution before that and a $1 million distribution before that. So they are really pushing these things out, and it's a great relief to know that some of these truckers will have some protection against this, uh, this disease. Well, it's got to be, I mean, you guys focus on this all the time, but if the, if the pandemic spreads through the trucking industry, the entire country is going to be in a lot worse trouble than it already is. Um, one of the estimates is that if the trucks stop in a significant way, the grocery store shelves will go empty in three days. Oh, boy. See, and that's and I what, think people don't think about that. No, and I, I mean, that's kind, of what, that's kind of what people were starting to worry about when this thing began. You know, we'd see, we'd see empty shelves, and that's because people were panic buying. But then, you know, there were some reports about... You know, the the food chain is breaking down. It turns out not as bad as it was, but most of it is worrying about transport. You've got to get you've got to get things from one place to another, and if you don't protect the people who are responsible for getting it place to place, it's going to be a nightmare. Yeah, it, it, there's so much of our economy that is interdependent on other parts, and it takes something like this to make us realize 
you know, the truckers are dependent on places like the truck stops, the stores that give us our food, the hospitals that take care of our health are dependent on the truckers to get them their supplies. Um, we all really do depend on one another, and, and the truckers are a vital link. And I think people, I, I've often heard people say, well, I, I'm sure my stuff comes on a train. Um, <laughs> your Walmart, I suspect, does not have a railhead. No, um, the ones I've been to are not sitting right on the tracks. Right, and even if it came on a train, it's got to get on a truck to get to the store. But the fact is, trains are great at bulk freight, like bringing coal to a power plant or uh, the harvest of wheat to the various uh, mills to create the flour for the bakeries. Trucks are very good at getting this load of produce from this field out here to this warehouse and then over to this store. And so they, I mean, overall, they carry 70% of the freight. And when you realize that things like train loads of coal and pipelines that carry oil are part of that, uh, you realize they really are carrying an enormous amount of our necessary goods. It's unbelievable. Now, I mentioned before, the cover story of the June 2020 issue of Landline magazine is COVID-19, the driver's perspective. As as you've been talking to more and more of drivers, how are... are how are they feeling about this? I, I would imagine part of it is like any other cross-section of America. Some people are taking it very seriously. Others are not. But there have to be some unique uh, concerns, hardships, and stories coming out of the uh, trucker population. I, I think a lot of it is uh, something I mentioned to you a moment ago, which is getting testing to find out if you have it and then getting help if you do. Um, and that that's very, very difficult if you think about it. If you're out on the road a thousand miles from your home base and suddenly you have to be hospitalized, right. most of us, if we go to the hospital with an illness, we have family, we have friends, we have coworkers. None of those people are anywhere near them at that point in time. So they end up kind of on their own. And that can be a very frightening thing if you have a serious illness. Um, the other thing is... Uh, to a great extent, a lot of these folks, they're very rough individualists. They are used to depending on themselves. And so a lot of them will try and tough it out. And uh, uh, not not just in relation to COVID-19, but other things. And uh, there's a woman that uh, we've interfaced with a lot, Kari Fisher. She runs a group called the Missing Truck Driver Alert Network. And occasionally we will get information that a truck driver is come up missing he and his truck or she and her truck and uh there's an unfortunate effect of that that in a number of cases that trucker will be found in their rig having passed on sitting in a truck stop um sometimes of, of a heart attack uh sometimes of some other illness uh these folks really are on their own And uh, they pretty much are their own little unit going across the country. Um, And does that take, does that take, not only, you mentioned the physical problems, does that isolation lead to uh, any sort of mental mental issues as well? Psychological issues, I guess? I haven't noticed any more of that than you would see in the general population, but I think part of it is trucking attracts a certain type of person. And and that is people that are, as I said, very individualistic, very independent, and sometimes they're kind of introverts. Okay. Um, and the other thing is they do have a lot of ways to communicate with each other. Um, uh, cell phones, 
they were very early adapters of that technology. When smartphones came out, they thought that was just the greatest thing. They're on social media. They use things like conference calling and Skype okay. to communicate. And um, so they are in contact with other people at different times while they're out there. But, of course, that person they're talking to, they could be in California. That sure. person could be in Maine. Yeah. <laughs> but their, their friends tend to be not their neighbors at home. They tend to be trucking friends. Okay. Uh, that's their community. Now, this is an, another dumb question. Uh, are, CBs still, are CBs still a thing? They're out there, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, they're less popular than they were, but in terms of getting a hold of the truck next to you, there's nothing that can really replace that. Okay. Um, the, the problem is there's some people out there that abuse the CB that get very powerful units and try and overpower other people oh, that get on there and spout uh, profanity or some other kind of nasty talk. Yeah. And a lot of folks is like, I don't want to listen to that, and they turn it off. Okay. But um, really and truthfully, it is important to have some means of communication where you can get a hold of the trucker and the truck next to you going down the highway and tell them, uh, sir, your truck is on fire. Yeah, that would be an important uh, piece of information to pass along quickly. And, and it happens. And uh, so there, there needs to be that. I think most trucks still have the CBs in them. Uh, but, but the nice thing is, um, you know, especially truckers who are parents, for, for so long in the, the history of this industry, they were occasional visitors to their children yeah. And now with things like FaceTime or Skype, they can talk to them every night face to face. Yeah, that's a it, nice that's a, a, a nice technological advancement. Mark, we got to take a quick break. When we come back, I want you to to think about get, uh, your favorite story or one of the the most interesting stories when you talk to drivers about this COVID nineteen and give me give me one driver's perspective. And if you are a driver out there and you want to share your perspective on what you've been dealing with since the pandemic started, three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. We got a lot to talk to Mark about and we don't have much time to do it. So let's get to this and then there's more at seven twenty WGN. Brian Noonan in for Nick seven twenty WGN talking to Mark Reddick. He's the host and program director of Landline Now Landline Media is the website where you can get all the information you need. All right, Mark, I gave you a couple minutes. Can you give me one perspective that it's not going to sum up, obviously, everybody's feelings, uh, the truckers out there dealing with this pandemic, but something that uh, something that might resonate with uh, people who are seeing these trucks rolling by and not really thinking about the people who are in them who are dealing with the same stuff we are, but on a whole different level. You know, there's so many people I've talked to, and it's hard for me to pick out one, but there's actually a couple. And the funny thing is, I'm not the person to talk to them, but several of my colleagues have, and that's uh, uh, Christopher and Shantae Drew. And these are a, a, a couple who truck together and discovered while they were out there that they had been exposed to this virus. And, of course, if one of them gets it, you can't isolate no. in a in a truck. There's basically the two front seats, and then behind that, a small area with a bed to sleep in, and that's the whole nine yards. So, um, very very difficult, uh, and uh, uh, trying to get from where they were, trying to get through the closed states, uh, trying to find a way to get home, and of course. You would think, well, they'll just drive home, but then you realize that truck uses extraordinary quantities of fuel. 
the insurance has got to be paid for every mile you're running. Um, and there's all sorts of other taxes and fees and licenses. So they really need to get a paying load to move a truck that far. Yeah. And, uh, so they were, uh, they, they did a lot of, of what truckers call deadheading. And that's where you are going from one place to another with no load. You still have all the expenses, just nothing to pay for it. And, uh, you know, a lot of these folks operate on a pretty thin margin, so um, it, it, it can be very difficult, but uh, these folks are definitely survivors, and uh, last I heard, they had come through this okay, well, that's and that's very, very good to know. But, uh, you know, a lot of these folks, they start to have symptoms, and maybe they've just got a seasonal cold, maybe they've got the flu or something else, but you can imagine if you're alone in that truck and you're starting to have a few of the symptoms... And that's just going to weigh on you until you can find some way to get someplace where there's someone to help you. Ugh. That that would be very frightening to me. That would be terrifying to me as well. Uh, something else that would be very scary, I think, uh, a report came out that cargo thefts were up by about 49%. Now, the, the total of loss is down. But if, if I'm a driver and my, my load gets stolen or hijacked or whatever, is the driver responsible? What what do we what do does the industry tell drivers if someone is trying to steal their steal the load or hijack the truck? What's the what's the protocol for that? Um, most truckers carry uh, cargo insurance to cover them in case of a loss like that. Um, of course, you've got to make sure that the insurance amount you or the amount you're insured for actually covers the load you're carrying because. Carrying a load of potato chips obviously takes a different level of insurance <laughs> than, say, uh, a load of laptop computers. Right. So you've, you've got to be careful about things like that. But, um, you know, really the number one thing, as I recall, that just keeps coming up is food. Food loads are, are hijacked with astounding regularity. Really? Um, and uh, uh, it's... It's a very odd thing to me, but, uh, you know, people got to eat. And I, I think also sometimes these folks steal the trucks having no idea what's in them. Yeah. Now, so how does it, you know, we've seen movies where you know, somebody will jump up on the running board of a truck and, and, you know, point a gun at the driver and take it. How how do these l trucks and these loads get hijacked? Is it at truck stops? Is it uh, when the guys stop at a rest area to sleep? How does How does it happen? It, it can be either one of those, or in some cases, uh, the trucker can be in a situation where he's got to leave the trailer someplace and then take his uh, his cab, uh, what the trucker called the bobtail, which is just the tractor part of the tractor trailer, uh, maybe to go get groceries, maybe to run some other kind of errand. Um, and uh, when that thing is alone, if it's not in a very secure area, um, but there's all kinds of ways that uh, these things get stolen. It's really extremely varied, although I will say it seems like the biggest cities and the biggest states are always the ones that have ports. Okay. And I, I think that that's probably natural because there's so much more freight coming in and yeah. out of a port. It's kind of a, a nexus for that kind of thing. But... Uh, uh, you know, California, the the port of Los Angeles, Long Beach is the largest port complex in the country, and they're the biggest state to be stolen from. Okay, well, so, that's, 
I guess it, it makes sense, like you said, in a way. Now, when you talk about the load insurance, is that something that a trucker has to change each time, or do they take out a big one and uh, you know one big blanket insurance policy, and then say, okay, when when you get contacted to, to pick up a load, you you have to just do that figuring in your head if you have enough insurance or you don't. Um, you generally tend to have a policy, and a lot of it is. Uh, a lot of the successful truckers try and find a niche to haul in. Okay. They try and haul one particular kind of freight. There are people that specialize in just hauling produce. Uh, there are people that specialize in hauling extremely heavy loads. And so, uh, generally speaking, in that case, you can get a policy that will cover you most of the time. It isn't a buy-the-load thing. It, it's something you get over time. Okay. Um, so, and, and, of course, they have a number of different types of insurance that they need to have depending on the kind of operation they have and, and their situation. And, and, of course, here we're talking about the people that would own their own truck. Now, if you're just someone who hired on as an employee with a motor carrier, you don't have to worry about that. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's a big headache to have taken off of your brow. But for anybody that owns their own rig, that is something they have to think about. Um, and there have been a few times I've, I've talked to some people where they, you know, woke up with a, a load stolen and they just didn't have the insurance to cover it. Now, we only have a couple minutes left, uh, Mark, but I wanted to ask you about diesel prices. They're, they've been wavering, uh, going up and down a little bit. And I see that, you know, in the Midwest, it's the price for a gallon of diesel is down two-fifths of a cent. In the U.S. as a whole, down two-fifths of a cent. To somebody who doesn't uh, really uh, like math, that doesn't seem like a lot. But when you're purchasing however much diesel is needed to run a, a, a big rig, is that, is that a lot? Is this, are we in a good space for truckers as far as fuel prices? You know, a lot of a lot of truckers and trucking companies uh, have built into their uh, rates what's called a fuel surcharge. If the fuel gets above a certain price, they get a surcharge to help them cover it. And so, really, what is is the easiest thing for truckers is a stable fuel price, and that's something I don't think we've had in my lifetime. <laughs> um, it's it's the worst kind of yo-yo you've ever seen. Um, so uh, when you're buying in the hundreds of gallons, yeah, two-fifths of a cent can make a difference. Probably a bigger difference is made by how fuel efficient they are. Okay. Um, and realize that it wasn't that many years ago that it was very normal for a, a semi to get five miles per gallon. Ew, that doesn't sound too um, good. Well, listen, Mark. I, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, the the top ones these days, 10 miles per gallon. That's wow. Well, that's double. That's double what it was, so that's pretty good. Listen, it was great to talk to you this morning. Thanks for all the information. Mark Reddick is the host and program director of Landline Now. Landline.media is the website. You can go there get all the information you need. If you are a trucker, I know you are familiar with that site. If you are not a trucker and just interested in that kind of thing, that's the place to go, Landline.media. Mark, great to talk to you. Look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you very much, Brian. You take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Is this more Mangione? Yes, it's an all-Mangione week. Nick DiGilio is out for the week. I'm Brian Noonan. I get to spend the time with you until Nick returns next week. 312-981-7200 is how you get a hold of us and get involved in the conversation. And I'm sure my next guest will spur a conversation. He always does. He's always he's always uh, got people asking him questions because he is a world-renowned 
pet expert and a host here on WGN. You know Steve Dale. I know Steve Dale. Everybody loves Steve Dale. Hi, Steve. <laughs> Feels so good. I remember when I was a DJ playing that song on the radio. Yeah, now that's a different one. Is that the same one we played last night? No, that's a different one. We all, It was all Chuck Mangione talk last night, Steve. What did, what did I just hear then? This was, well, That's that was Chuck that, Mangione too. Yeah, that was Give It All You Got. Oh. Ah, I played that too. I really do. That was kind of like a moderate hit. Yeah, that uh, one, that's a record. secondary. That's his. Uh, that's his B side for big hits. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was at a radio station that played mostly B sides. <laughs> that that would make sense. There you go. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. How are you? I am well. There's a lot going on. Uh, we're going to talk. Obviously, we're going to talk about pets. And if you have a question yeah. for Steve, three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. But I want to talk to you because you are a city dweller. You you. Uh, post uh, frequently on social media platforms, and yesterday I saw that the protest was basically rolling right by your house. One of the yeah, one of the protests. Much. Yeah, yeah, uh, and you know we were like, do we go out there? Or should we be a part of this or not? And uh, frankly, uh, I I believe in the cause and the justification very much. Uh, for the protest. I understand that and agree with it. And the only concern was potential violence. And as it rolled by or began rolling by, it was clear that these folks were loud, uh, but it was uh, almost a parade. I mean, there were people there that passionately believed, and I'd say most of them, passionately believed in what they were protesting for. There were a fair number of people, younger people in general, who just seemed to be there to have a party, or maybe they had nothing else to do. Okay. Uh, the, the, what was interesting to me, and we've seen this in images all over the country, uh, that many of the protesters, and in this instance, I'd argue more than half, were Anglo-Saxon. You know, they were not, you know, yeah. the, the, I don't know what percent were African-American or not, or Hispanic, I, I don't know, but, but most of them were not. Uh, there were children there, and and disturbing to me, there were dogs there, disturbing because it was really loud, yeah. and the dogs did not seem anything except for very anxious. That's I, why that was disturbing. Yeah, and it's it's funny. I thought of you the other night as I was watching footage of various protests around around the country, and in one of them, a guy had his dog there. And yeah. my wife and I looked at each other, and... Yes, we were concerned about all the people there. We were concerned about everything else. But it just seemed so weird that you would take your dog to a protest. Well, if it's a family thing and you know it's not going to turn violent, but you you don't know. And the other thing is that it was just so loud. I mean, you know, but I I would argue, you know, a lot of city dogs, our dogs, you know, uh, our dog acclimated to festivals and those sorts of things. I still don't take her very often to those things. Yeah. But she's been there enough and grew up in the city. We live near Lakeshore Drive. I mean, she is used to too much noise. Uh, you know, and, and we were watching it go by, and I cannot tell you why exactly, Brian, but it, it kind of, they're right. And, and yeah. it got to me a bit. And then what they didn't have, unfortunately, so there were no police. Now, okay. one could argue legitimately police weren't needed. It was very peaceful. Right. What would have been nice, though, is some, someone there, if not police, the traffic control people, because you had a line of cars waiting to cross that we're not going to cross. Right. I mean, there were thousands of people. We were standing there nearly an hour watching wow. the people go by. And, and 
uh, this was a street that's a bus route. So the bus driver came at around 15, 20 minutes after we had been there. Uh, she just got out of her bus. She was like a block away, and, and she walked over. And she began watching, and she was videotaping on her phone. And uh, she asked me, she said, how long has this been going on? And I told her how long we were standing there. And we were there pretty much at the start, and I told her that too. Uh, and uh, then she looked at me and said, this is absolutely wonderful. You don't know what this means to me. And I said, you're right. right. I can't know. Uh, but I'm sorry. And and I'm doing it now. But she actually began to cheer up. And I did too. And I didn't know this lady. An African American. I didn't say that. I, and that's important in this story. And uh, as I said, a bus driver. Uh, and uh, then, then she said, was there any violence at all? I said, no, not at all. And she put her hands together as if to pray. And I said, yeah, I, I don't want the messaging to be lost. And she right. said, that's right. And she continued the video. I, I saw I, one more thing. I said, I wish, and I regret not hugging her. I said, I wish I could hug you, but, you know, we've got this thing going on. Yeah. And she said, I understand. And, uh, but boy, I regret not hugging her anyway. And, uh, you know, people, people were coming together. So what we don't see on TV enough, and I totally understand why, because the other side of this is, Horrible. Devastating. I can't even... I mean, we know people who have lost businesses. Yeah. I just found out about one today. I mean, it's absolutely terrible what, what has happened in that regard. But the vast majority of people are there for, as I think I described, for all the right reasons. And, you know, then they went on north and they ended up in... Uh, in uh, at, at, right outside a Target store, actually on um, Sunnyside and Broadway. Yeah. And uh, they just all sat down. A lot of us have seen those images. Uh, and there was nothing violent to come of that until it got dark. And then lots of stores in the community were looted. And uh, that's that's the very sad part. Yes, it is. Uh, now, how, how about tonight? Everything, anything going on up there so, tonight? So what's interesting, so I'm not in your newsroom, but I do have news for you of sorts. First of all, just where I sit, we're right on Lakeshore Drive, and I don't know if Lakeshore Drive is closed. It must be because I see zero cars going south. Okay. Uh, we're between Irving Park and Addison, so see zero cars going south, a handful of cars periodically going north, which is nice for us because it's really quiet because we have our windows <laughs> open. Beautiful. Um, and the other thing that is even nicer regarding quiet, we don't hear sirens often. And last night and the night before and the night before, we were hearing them every one second, you know. Um, the other thing that I have that the newsroom can follow up on secondhand that should not be a surprise, according to my source, but please, I, I hesitate to say this on the radio, except that. <laughs> but you will. Except <laughs> that, but I will. Uh, and I will for a reason that will become evident in a second, All you right. know. Uh, a lot of the calls tonight, apparently, and you get some of the, you know, Chicago's a big city. You may yeah, get yeah. some of these calls every night. But a, a, a surprising, or not so surprising, but inordinate, unusual number of the calls are suicide. Oh. And, uh, you know, this has been 
such an incredible, stressful time in so many different ways. I am not surprised, and experts have been predicting uh, more suicides. I'm on a, a national task force yeah. on uh, the relationship between domestic violence and our companion animals. Uh, and and anecdotally, those experts, I'm not one, but those experts that sit on that panel with me have said, yes, it seems as though there is more domestic violence. The numbers at this point are very squishy, but they're not surprised that that, that would be the case. Uh, uh, well, so see, I see, just thought that, ten, that is interesting. That is, that is very interesting and very sad. Um, and we're going to we're going to we got to take a quick break. But when we come back, mm-hmm. I want to talk to you based on what you said about the task force you're on and, and pets and uh, domestic violence. But it is a very stressful time. Are our pets picking up on that? Is my are my dogs more stressed because I'm more stressed? Steve Dale is here. Uh, of course, you know you can always go to stevedalepetworld.com to get all Steve's articles, all the information about Steve. You can hear him here Sunday mornings at five thirty. And if you have a question for Steve, three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. Steve Dale is here. It's Brian in for Nick seven twenty WGN. Brian Newton in for Nick. Steve Dale is my guest. You know Steve Dale. Do you have a pet question? 312-981-7200. Before we get into our our pets uh, dealing with our stress, Steve, Beth has been hanging on, and uh, she has a question for you. Hi, Beth. Hi, Brian. And Steve is here. Good to talk to you. I've been a fan forever. I'm like your fangirl. Well, thank you. I like that. You hear that, Steve? <laughs> well, I got fangirls. No, what do you and think also, no. A couple of years ago, I heard you moonlighting on 670 in Wisconsin. Boom, boom. Oh, sure. I'm I'm everywhere. No, not what one market can't contain me. Yeah, you're like a ninja of radio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, see, Steve. What do you think of that? Huh? Hmm? I, I'm 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 impressed by that. In fact, you know what? I I got you last week on my toaster oven. I mean, you're everywhere. I am. I'm, yeah, he's at all over the place. I'm very enigmatic. I one day and, I'm on your toaster oven, one day I'm in the radio, one day I'm just outside your window throwing rocks and singing. <laughs> and also, weren't you weren't you on some game shows back in the day? Beth, Isn't that how you financed your family? Listen, Beth, uh, we could go into my. Uh, Admittedly, impressive resume. But can I ask Steve a question? Yes, that's what I was hoping you were waiting for. (laughs) I I am going to because I am blushing right now. It's going to be a bittersweet history, but oh boy! I also also wanted to tell you that um, Brian, I'm glad when I called in tonight that there was a friend there when my friend is gone. If there would have been just some strange, weird guy, I probably would have scratched out my own eyes. Yikes. Well, what, well, what know, happened, Nick Beth? Is, what happened? Nick is my rock, and then there was you, so that's fine. Well, that's I'm, I'm glad we're here to help. What's what's going on? What's your pet question? Okay, well, so uh, the reason I want to tell the history is because when I first moved to Wisconsin, I took a large, lassie-looking collie that was a male to my home. Mm-hmm. And we went out chasing chickens, and I lost him. And his name was Lucky. And he would keep the kids from standing up on the top of the slide like he, he's a herder. Sure. And I wanted to replace him for my son. And so I ended up getting a Sheltie that was just the opposite. She was black, and I named her Jinx. Okay. You know, Lucky okay. Jinx. You can't replace Lucky. 
So I lost her about a year ago, and my daughter bought me a new dog this year, and she's an Australian blue healer, which I understand in the 1850s, they bred collies with dingoes. <laughs> I was going to have so a dingo we, once, but I heard they take babies, and that's... Uh, uh, well, do not, no, uh, that's, I do not want to get involved in that. the children's stuffed animals. <laughs> yeah, but um, she she's from the city. Apparently, she was too rambunctious for a city home. And she loves the the Rosasa sandwiches. They say a German Shepherd won't let you in, but an Australian Blue Healer will not let you out. How to manage her. She can stand on hind legs. She can fly over couches. So you want to know how to how to tame this dog, how to get this dog to I behave? Just want, yeah, she. It's like there having an ornery four year old. Steve, we've got All to right. Make so the rather, the rather than use the word tame, what I'd like to say is let's give this dog jobs. The more we can give the dog to do, the better. So I wrote a blog post about how to teach your own dog at home to find things like a search and rescue dog. Ooh. You got the exact kind of dog and temperament to do this. So uh, you can teach your dog to find your car keys, for example, which is for me anyway, a really handy thing, <laughs> uh, your eyeglasses. So, truly, you could actually teach your dog to do that. Too long to explain on the radio, but here are some things I can tell you. Enrich the environment. Put things in the environment that will interest your dog every day. And they could be, because dogs live by their nose, so sprinkle a little of your perfume on some paper towel or a clean rag. Put it in a corner. Just so the dog isn't the type of dog to chew on it or swallow it. Uh, but that's interesting to a dog. Hide treats in random places around the house. So randomly when your dog's spirits move him, he will go ahead and search for those treats. Don't put them just on the ground. Put them in toys. There are now a myriad of treat dispensing toys on the market. It'll give your dog things to do. Also make sure you're teaching your dog things. This is a dog that's really smart and needs to always learn. And that's kind of fun for you to do, to come up with new things to teach your dog aside from sit, stay, and roll over. You can teach all sorts of things for your dog to do, everything from giving you a high five to finding a hula hoop at a store and having your dog jump through it. (laughs) All sorts of things, all sorts of fun things you can do, and here's a dog to do it with, and a dog who really needs to do these things. All right. Well, Beth, I hope that uh, I hope that helps. Thank you for the call. Have a wonderful night. And listen, quit stalking. Thank me, you Beth. so much. I've you been doing some of those welcome. things. Thanks for the validation, Steve. You're welcome. Thank you. Take care, Beth. Bye bye. Uh, Good night. Right. Oh, where do we go? There we go. So, all right, we're going to get into this. First of all, uh, congratulations on the use of the word myriad. That was fascinating. <laughs> Very good. All right, let's, thank you. Let's we'll we'll get started on this, and I know it'll take uh, more than a few minutes, but we can get started on this. We mm-hmm. you brought up before about dogs and domestic violence, and 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 uh, dogs being sensitive. Are our dogs in this really stressful time feeling a little different because we're stressed? And and even if even if we're trying not to be, there is there is stress. Whether you've lost your job because of the pandemic or what's going on now with the protests and the riots, that that's a stressful time. These last few months have been really rough. Are our dogs feeling it? 
Well, I'd actually add cats into the question, too. You so know I think cats have no feelings, Steve. So I am but going they to do. Say, I know they do. I tease. But they do. I tease and, all and the people with cats now are angry, but they know I'm teasing. I always tease you about cats. You do. Uh, but we know that they're built, their brains are essentially built like ours. They're, they have the same, you know, so years and years ago, if someone said, do dogs have feelings? And people, oh, no, that's crazy. Well, <laughs> dog owners have known for hundreds of years that that's not true. Right. That of course, their dogs have feelings. And we now know, it's not my opinion, we know just by looking at the science, the chemistry of all this, that their own, their neurotransmitters, which work identical to ours are about the same as ours so so they do have feelings they may not feel it the same way we do they certainly don't express it the same way they are dogs we're not however they really do have feelings the other things that the other thing that we know with cats but even dogs much more so they instantly pick up on how we feel we don't even understand all the ways in which they do this. So one example, I can give you a personal example. My wife comes home. We are on the fifth floor of our condo building. Uh, We park in the back. We have a very old, nice historic building, you know, with long hallways. So it's a very long unit. So uh, like 2,000 feet or something like that. So my wife parks at the very back, which is the very, very end. Our dog could be at the other end of our condo. And as my wife pulls in with windows closed in the winter, even, or with air conditioning on and windows closed in the summer, our dog knows it. Yeah. How the heck? You know, and and there was a guy who studied all this. I mean, our dog is not the only dog. No, one Uh, of our dogs does that, too. She... Yeah. The, you can hear the car pull up from wherever, and the dog goes crazy and goes and sits by the door and whines. And the researcher tried all sorts of things like, okay, come back from different directions, park a block away, all these things, and the dogs all still knew it. It's a fascinating research study, and there's a whole book about it now. But the point is that dogs, we don't even understand how well they understand us exactly. So, of course, they are picking up on our stress. Now, what we don't know, or, well, let me rephrase that. We do think we do know, and it works both ways. So, in part... They do help us and cats too to feel better. There's no doubt about that. Right. And I can describe exactly how. Having said that, I worry that some of these dogs themselves and cats are feeling our stress a bit too much and therefore getting anxious themselves. They don't know why. I mean, they don't know there's a pandemic going on. They don't know there's unrest in the street. They don't know you've lost your job. But they do know that you're unhappy or anxious and, in any case, not acting your typical self. And they try to console us in many cases. And, again, in some cases, I worry because I think some of these animals, which ones, I don't know, but some of these animals <laughs> actually then themselves become anxious. And, and that's, you know, unfortunate, you know, and I feel badly about that. Uh, then what we try to do, if we're aware of it, is we try to make them happy because we care so much. And in doing so, we do all these silly things, which makes us feel better. Um, and, and there's no oh. question that even on, on the very, very simplest level, studies have been done to demonstrate this. Just walking your dog is something nice you're doing for the community. Because as I walk past the dog, or you walk past, or anyone walks past the dog, endorphins, 
in their heads, in our heads, do this little happy dance, and they can't help but to do that. And that's this split second of, of happiness, if you will, or, or we smile. And even in cultures where there is some concern about dogs culturally in different places in the world, they show pictures of dogs, and the same thing happens in their brains. Yeah, I so want to get into that because I was reading I was reading an article today about what happens to your dog's brain because we have been home a lot more than we usually are. So I want to get into that with you. We've got to take a quick break. If you have a question for Steve Dale, 312-981-7200. Steve is here for a little while. We're talking about all things pets because, well, that's what we do when we talk to Steve Dale. We talk about all things <laughs> pets and protests and, you know, my uh, my teasing about cats, which always gets people a little nuts. But Steve, no! hang on. We'll be right back. It's Brian for Nick, WGN. It's Brian Nooner for Nick D. Nick will be back next week. I am here with you this week. And a man who, you know, puts the Bee Gees to shame when it comes to wearing a white suit and strutting down the street. Steve Dale is here. If you have a pet question for Steve, you know how to get a hold of me. 312-981-7200. You can always follow Steve at uh, stevedalepetworld.com. Read all Steve's articles, things, uh, all things Steve Dale, all things pet at stevedalepetworld.com. Sunday mornings at 530 here on WGN. Okay, before we we get into how happy our pets are that we've been home for so long uh mary has a question for you steve she's in lombard hi mary hi steve um i grew up with a beagle that chewed on everything you know i still have pieces of wooden furniture that he chewed on i now have a border terrier who is nine years old he does not have a destructive bone in his body does not chew on anything. He has a box of rubber toys. Some are tough. Some are delicate, thin, and he just knows the difference in what he can chew on or not among all his rubber toys. And is this typical of the oh, sure. I mean, so when you, dogs I, I just, or what? Yeah, so I, I just did a blog post, actually, uh, this morning. Uh, where I answered a question from a reader who said, oh, my, my dog is chewing on my kid's fingers. What do I do? Um, and it's a little puppy. But but I said, okay, here's what you do. You know, it could be the beagle just wasn't taught from a young age. Uh, this is what you chew on, and this isn't what you chew on. And by the way, I love border terriers. So oh, if they I are were sweet. to choose it, I, they are wonderful. Nobody knows about them. You have to keep it a secret. Right, they're hard to find. <laughs> I, I, I will tell you, if I were to choose a terrier tomorrow, it would be a border terrier. Really? Why? Yeah. What, what makes them so special? You know, they're, they're, they're really smart and they're fun, but above and beyond that, they are uh, unlike terriers in some ways. They're, they are more like beagles in some ways. They they don't bark quite as much. They're, they're oh, not mine as tenacious. Mine will bark. <laughs> Yours barks. But, well, but in general, you know, I'm not saying they're completely quiet, but but in general, they they don't have that uh, the terrier demeanor that that uh, that determined terrier terror. There's some guys instead of terriers, they're called terrors sometimes. Yes. You know, uh, and and not the border terrier. They they're just sweet. They're they're not another terrier. Well, yeah, Steve, what? you're you know you're going down a dangerous road. Let's just say Steve Dell likes border terriers, uh, and Steve Dell likes all uh, cats and dogs. Uh, I'm not sure where you fall on I reptiles, do. but uh, you know I love them. Sure, of course, love you do. reptiles. 
<laughs> Love reptiles. Mary, did we but, answer your uh, question? or? <laughs> yeah, well, is, is this uh, being not... Uh, no, I forgot. Is it typical of the breed or dogs in general to not not be destructible? I mean, he just... People have had dogs for a long time, and their houses are still standing. You know, it's, it's just a matter of teaching a dog at a young age. I didn't really have to teach him. I got mm-hmm. him at nine weeks. When he was a puppy, I had to tell him no about certain things about a half dozen times, and I'm not kidding, and he just, even as a little puppy, he just didn't touch things either. Well, so I, I mean, it's, I'm sure it's uh, Steve, and correct me if I'm wrong, and Mary, thank you for the call. Uh, dogs, like people, and I'm sure cats the same way, some are, some act one way, some act another. You know, I've had, I've had a couple dogs that were big diggers. I've had other dogs that didn't, never dug, never chewed anything, just laid around. They were, you know, so every, everything is different. Sure, we, we, sure. we got a text, and um, now you know, I tease about I tease about cats because I'm a dog guy, but somebody texted and they were upset. They were, why are dogs so important? What? Why? You know, this is somebody who doesn't like dogs. They don't understand why people get all excited about dogs. Why they're so important? Uh, the text did not come from Tom Hush, but uh, <laughs> Tom Tom empathized and uh, promoted this text because he also has an issue with dogs. What is your issue with dogs? Well, let me let me preface this by saying if Someone put a clipboard in front of me that said end cruelty towards dogs and puppy mills. I'd sign it. I'd vote for it in Congress. All right. I, so I, we I wish. You, you, don't, you don't wish harm on I, dogs. I want that on the record. I want that on the record. So entered. However, in my neighborhood, I can't tell you how frustrated I get with the amount of dog droppings that just get left. Just left all around, and everybody's got a dog. Everybody and their mother's got a dog, and they've got big dogs, small dogs, medium-sized dogs. Do you they know, have white terriers? dogs, black Those dogs. Those are Steve's favorite. I get. I, you know, terriers. I couldn't. I couldn't tell you the difference between a border terrier and a trash can. It's just they're. It's all the same to me. <laughs> well, one's a it's... dog, and one's an inanimate object. We'll start <laughs> basics. Uh, basic. But the, the point. The point is. The point is. Is that I live in a very dog centric world. I am a cat man, Steve. I actually adopted my first cat. I never had a. I never had a, a pet growing up. My mom was allergic. No pets. I got. I t- I adopted an adult cat. He's amazing. Uh, I love yeah. him. He's sweet. Good for you. I can't. I can't believe how happy I am. But I live in a very dog eat dog world. Dog love dog world. So how does how does someone who does not enjoy the presence of dogs uh, try to be a little bit more? I don't know, positive about them being accepting. around. Ex- accepting. Because I'm not, I'm not going to tell someone, oh, you can't have a dog, but there's dogs in my building. There's dogs on my street. There's dogs everywhere. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Help me. <laughs> well, first of all, uh, about not picking up, that is not the fault of the dogs. That's the fault of the people on the other end of the leash who have the dog. Yes, it And is. hopefully that dog is on a leash because of the law and for the safety of dogs and for the safety of people. So uh, people need to leash their dogs uh, unless they're in a dog park or a dog-friendly area, uh, as they're called in Chicago, and they need to pick up after the dogs. That is in the best interest of dogs as well as in the best interest of our shoes. I mean, that's the right thing to do. Uh, so I don't disagree with you about that, and I campaign 
for people picking up after their dogs. But if you're a responsible dog owner, then my dog is not bothering you yeah. in any way whatsoever. Yeah, my dogs so, would never bother you, Tom. They'd sense, you know, they'd see the knit hat and the hipster beard, and they'd oh, say, oh, yeah, we're staying away buddy. from him. Oh. Yeah, so, so I, I, I mean, do you dislike dogs, or do you I, just, I, I get uncomfortable. I get uncomfortable around them, even if they are, they're, you know, I, I know what a, a, a beautiful Were you bitten thing. by a dog as a kid? Um, Not that I can distinctly remember. I've just okay. always been on a little uncomfortable around dogs. Uh, the, you know, the, the slobber. I will say I am slightly allergic. Nothing serious that would preclude me from being around dogs outside of, you know, my, my eyes get a little yeah. itchy, get a little bit of wheeziness, but... Nothing that I would call a medical issue. Uh, they just they just make me a little uncomfortable, and I feel bad going over to someone's house, and they might have a beautiful dog, even well behaved, you yes. know, not coming up on you, not bothering you or anything like that. But they're just like, oh, look at how beautiful my dog is. Don't you just want to pet him? Don't you just want to be all up near him? And I feel terrible <laughs> because I'm like, no, that's the actually the exact opposite of what I want to be wow. doing right now, and I don't know how to how to be kinder. I suppose the word is. There's no hope well, for him, is there, Steve? Uh, probably not. I'm okay. not even sure he's a real person that you asked. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, uh, I, I wish I had known this about you, Tom. Uh, yeah, it's actually, I, so, I wish I had known it, too, because I, it's, mm, I don't know. Yeah, you know, uh, for people that have fear of dogs, and usually people who do, have had a bad experience with dogs at some point in their life. I mean, we know that. Um, for people that are generally uncomfortable around them, it's usually a lack of positive experiences. Uh, so what I suggest you do is find someone to watch your cat for a couple of days, and you go to someone's house who's out of town that has a dog and take care of their dog for a couple of days. Ooh. Your opinion, I think, will change. Exposure therapy. Um, Total immersion. Yeah. I mean, if you were terrified, I wouldn't recommend that. But you're not terrified. You're just a bit uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that would solve the problem either that or, you know, WGN doesn't pay you enough. So dog walk on the side. Uh, make it feel like <laughs> best that way. Yeah, then you can set a good example for other people in your neighborhood by picking up the poop. Yeah, hopefully. Exactly. That would be good. Exactly. And those bags actually should say WGN Radio, Brian Noonan show on it. Boom. Wow. Because what do you say? My show is full of what? Is I that, didn't say that. I, I would I, never say that. I, I know you you're just say sponsoring it. a cleaner Chicago. That's, That's all you're doing. I am all about a cleaner Chicago. Uh, let's let's take a quick break. Now that we know that Tom is a, a person without a soul, we're going to take a quick break, <laughs> try to regroup, uh, and then we'll, let's get back to it. Because our, we have been home with our dog, Steve. But one day, yeah. one day, this pandemic will end, and we will have to leave the house. And what will our dogs and cats? What will our dogs and cats say? Will our cats even care? I don't know. They're probably <laughs> they may be upset. They may be upset that we're home so much, interrupting their their you know day to day routine. They probably have it down. Exactly. They're like, it's eight o'clock. I usually have a lot of stuff that I do when you leave, and you're not leaving. So we'll talk all about that. If you have a, a pet question for Steve or or any advice for Tom, um, and therapy probably. 312-981-7200. That's how you get a hold of us. Steve Dale is here. Uh, we will talk more with Steve and with you after this. It's WGN. All right. Hungry eyes. Very nice. Steve Dale is with me. 
Uh, if you have a question for Steve, 312-981-7200. We are talking all things pets. All right, we've been, uh, we've been jumping around, but I do want to get back to this, Steve, because we have been home. So our dogs, our cats, our pets have been, have started to get used to us being there. And we were talking, we started to talk a little bit earlier about the, how they are, are they happier that we're home? Is it, is, is the fact that we're hanging around with them, you know, we joke that, oh, the dogs must be happy because now they never have to be apart from us. Um, and I don't, I, and I'm, I'm sure as much as I tease, I, I know there are cats that really want to be with people too, but is it, is it, is that just us projecting because we're happier that we get to stay around our dogs or cats longer? Oh, no. I mean, most dogs want us to be there. You know, it reminds me of a cartoon that you would have enjoyed uh, that I saw that has one dog saying, I love this pandemic. I hope, you know, a little bubble that says, I love this pandemic. I hope it goes on forever. (laughs) Another dog sitting under a table in the corner saying, I like my people, but I'm exhausted. I cannot take these walks every (laughs) two hours. Yeah. Because we're, all we're doing is taking our dogs for walks. And oh, then there's a cat in the corner saying, I can't stand this. Get the heck out of my house. So, <laughs> to the people. Yeah. I... But, so, it's, it's kind of a mixed bag. But in general, our, our dogs and really our cats are enjoying the fact that we're there. And this actually concerns me because when life returns right. to whatever that new normal is, if we go back, to the office, for those that do go back to the office, it's like you're there and you're not there. And the great news is that so many people have adopted dogs at this time. Yeah. I love that, of course. But now some of these dogs have not been alone. You've been with them, All or right. some family member anyway, has been with them the whole time. And shelter dogs might be more predisposed to separation anxiety anyway, combined with dogs that once had separation anxiety. You've treated it, you've dealt with it this way or that way, and now the dog is better. Well, now the dog is going to regress uh, for sure. And, mm-hmm. and then there's the third group of dogs, which are dogs that are like a lot of people. Change is just hard, you know? Yeah. So, so here's your new routine. You got used to it. And now no one is sending you an email in advance with an explanation of why there's going to be yet another new routine. And those dogs might have difficulty adjusting, actually. So for those three buckets of dogs, if you will, I do predict, and we're beginning to see it, you know, that more separation anxiety and dealing with that separation anxiety, which is horrible, that uh, many of these dogs have. Well, it's, uh, you know, it is a reality, and, and they would, they'll, you know, when when that starts happening, of course, we will uh, we will talk about how to, how to fix that. But right now, other people want to ask you questions, and I sure. don't want, I don't like to monopolize all your time on the air. I do that <laughs> off the air. That's when I monopolize your time. But Barbara is in Lincolnwood, and she has a problem. Hi, Barbara. Hi, Steve and Brian. Uh, I have a dog. He's a pug, Chihuahua, like a chug. I don't know. He, he has a. He has a beagle face, but his body is real skinny and very long legs. But he, he mm-hmm. weighs 15 pounds. But anyway, um, the problem is I, I walk him at least three times a day. When one is a real long walk, and then when we come back, he want, he still wants to play, and I chase him, and then he has to go crazy running, you know. And then finally, that's the end of the the whole deal. But the problem is when I 
whenever I go to put the harness on him, or even if I just walk to where the harness and leash are, is hanging, he starts running away. Like he'll hide, you know, behind, I have a divider he hides, and I have to chase him. But it's not a play. I mean, he's like, it's very frustrating. to. I have to sneak up on him or else I, I may put it on sometimes when he's sleeping. Then I'll put the harness on him. But he wants to go for the walks, right? He, he wants to he go just for the doesn't like the harness. Once, he, once that's on, he's fine. You know, then he's very happy and we walk like an hour, mm-hmm. one of the walks. And so, he goes wherever he wants, you know. And So what should she happy. do, Steve? What should Barbara do? Well, there's apparently an aversion to the harness uh, or the leash uh, or both. So what I suggest you do is if your dog can have a special treat, a very, very special treat, uh, little tiny pieces of hot dog or something really amazing, whatever is amazing to your dog, or if your dog is more motivated by toys, a squeaky toy, but whatever turns on your dog the most, take out that Uh toy, use that treat, one or the other, only use that treat or that toy for this purpose, which would be to ah. interact with the dog with that for a second. Put it on and then take it off and then interact with your dog either by getting a treat or two or with the toy. And, again, put it on and take it off. Don't chase the dog around the house. Don't corner the dog. Call your dog yeah. to you. Have your dog sit. Give your dog that amazing treat. So call your dog to you, have the dog sit, rather than that chase game where your dog might be afraid. And I don't want to intensify that fear, and I want to break that cycle, too. So call Uh your dog to you, have your dog sit, and then put the thing on, and then give your dog another treat, take it off, and then go watch TV or read a book. An hour later or two hours later, whenever you have the chance, do the same thing, and keep doing it over and over, and eventually... Your dog won't mind it. And, in fact, if you want, you can even give it a cue. Like, now we're going for a walk or something like that and, and, make, it, and make it positive. Uh-huh. Well, I so hope that helps, And he, he's not a big eater. In fact, I have to, like, beg him to eat whatever, you know, even if it's like a hamburger and rice and carrot, whatever. So, but I think that it's – but he loves toys. Yeah, so no. I think that that's so, a good yeah. idea to – Get a, sure. Get a so take whatever I, 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 sense that, I sense that by your description. So that's why I said toys and uh, whatever his favorite toy is, don't let him play with it ever again, except when you do this. Ah. Yeah. All right. Well, I hope that helps, Barbara. That sounds a great idea. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Take care. You're All welcome. right, Steve. Uh, I would. I was going to make a joke about uh, Jim's problem with his dog, but I think uh, the joke will be made in itself. <laughs> Uh, Jim's in Burroughs Park. Hi, Jim. What's uh, what's the issue? Hey, uh, well, it's uh, kind of like a Dr. Phil problem. I'm not quite sure. I love my dogs. I got uh, three dogs. I got two Huskies and a Newfoundland puppy. She's about a year and a half old. She's When she gets excited, she humps my female Husky. <laughs> and, we can't, and we can't, for the life of us, figure out why. Now, my male... Has no problems. Nobody's in heat. Nothing's happening there or nothing. But she's got a thing where she gets excited or for some reason she goes for my female husky and kind of overpowers her a little bit. She's a little bit bigger 
you know, she's over 100 pounds, but she uh, overpowers my husky and humps her. Steve, do you have any experience what? with humping problems? Uh, I have uh, I have more experience than you might think with having a problem. <laughs> and some of that even includes with dogs. Hello. So, <laughs> but, um, so what what I suggest you do, first of all, understand that this is not sexual. It is, for whatever reason, no. self-reinforcing for the dog. So what often happens in this case is the other dog, which would have been your husky, would reprimand at the very start. First time, second time it happens, and done. But your husky's tolerating it. Your husky may, I don't well, care no, one way or lets, the other. She lets her know. She lets her know. She, like, you know, she'll growl and, like, nip at her to, like, hey, you know, go find somebody else here. I'm uh, taking care of my own and, business. But uh, Okay, and your newsie's paying no attention, so the reprimand isn't strong enough. And that's okay. Right. So you can intercede here and just simply call your dog to you, clap your hands, Go, something like that. If you want to say no, you could say no. The punishment yeah. part is, 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 let me just finish here, is, is not important. What is important is that you distract your dog in some way. I really don't want you to punish the dog. Distract your dog in some way. Much better word for what I mean than punishment. Distract your dog in some way. Call them both to you if you want, or at least call the Newfoundland to you. Have your Newfie sit and then say good boy or girl, I'm not sure what you said, or the girls. Uh, give females. Okay. And, yeah, uh, and and give one or the other or both a treat, you know, for coming oh, to you okay. and after doing what they're doing. Uh, but <laughs> so, just, yeah, they uh, can't, you but, don't give them the now, treat while they're humping? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> no. So, yeah, the, the other thing is I, I always tell people, because they always say, oh, my God, look at the big dogs. And I tell them they're not dogs. I tell them they're my kids dressed up like dogs. Wow, that's even, that makes your that makes your previous story even creepier, Jim. But uh, I, I, I hope Steve was able to help. And I want to thanks thanks for the call, Jim. I want to get to this, Steve, because we have been dog heavy with our calls. But Tony has a uh, has a cat issue. Hi, Tony. I love it. Yeah, I have a mink cat. He's about fifteen years ago years old. He has to sniff everything I'm eating, no matter what it is. But he actually will steal my apple fritters off the plate. <laughs> so, uh, for, for, so for dogs and cats, the only thing he steals is apple fritters. So, yeah, why is it yeah. that he's so into an apple fritter over anything else? And he does love those temptation treats. He eats those like crazy. Oh, they're like kitty crack. You know. So, right. so for the uh, apple fritters, they're fried. I assume is that right? Yeah, which is weird because he doesn't like fried chicken. He'll eat boiled chicken, he'll eat baked chicken, but he will not eat fried chicken. Well, I'm glad because fried food is no better for cats than it is for us. And and my only concern about the apple fritters is that they're fried. So a little bit of that goes a long way. A long way. My hope is that you don't have apple fritters every day, so he's not getting a lot of these. Uh, because a lot of these would not I'm be down, helpful uh, for your over cat. over 150 pounds in the last four years, so an apple fritter to me is like once every couple of months as a treat. There you go. Yeah, so, you know, it's, uh, don't quote me on it, but I'm sure it's not going to be the worst thing for your cat <laughs> unless your cat has other medical conditions. Having said that, you know, you're, you, you, if you really want, there is a way to do this without your cat stealing the apple fritters. I think your point is, isn't it odd that my cat likes it's apple fritters? a little fritters? strange. You know, and, and, yeah, and cats, you know, individual cats, it's really an interesting topic. 
Well, so unfortunately, cheese, Steve, we don't have time for that. All those things. I know I'm out of time. We're out of time. But those things are, are a lot of cats like. Thank you, Tony, for the call. You know, t- time goes very fast when you are here. Sometime we will do it uh, when it's not the middle of the night again, and you can stay a little longer. But I do appreciate you giving us the time this morning. People can hear you at 5.30 on Sunday mornings here on WGN. They can read all your great works at stevedalepetworld.com. It is always a pleasure. You are my favorite person to talk to on the radio and in person, too. Oh, oh so, well, so thank, thank you, sir. Thank you for being fix here. Tom, fix your producer. Yeah, well, you you could talk to him now. Thanks, Steve. All right, that's Steve Dale. You know Steve Dale. We got to do this, then it's news time. A little Simply Red to go into talking to Michael Osaki about uh, all sorts of sports collectibles. Michael is the uh, the man behind BaseballInTheAttic.com. He is a certified appraiser. Do you have some sports memorabilia laying about the house? Maybe you did some spring cleaning during your stay-at-home, uh, shelter-at-home orders, and you came across a box full of baseball cards or uh, a basketball signed by Wilt Chamberlain, and you're thinking, could this possibly be real? What could this be worth? Am I going to am I going to uh, sail away on a private yacht because of this find, or am I just going to deflate this basketball and toss it in the recycling bin? <laughs> I have no idea. Michael, it's been a long time. How are you? Good to talk to you. Hey Brian, it's great to be with you. How are you? I am I am doing as well as anybody can be doing uh, when we are wedged between a pandemic and social unrest. That's uh, that's pretty much all we can ask for. Yeah, this is quite the time. And the other thing that's making this time difficult for a lot of people, Michael, is that there's no sports. No, There are no sports to be had, really. And, uh, you know, so we're living with our memories. So people are looking People are looking at things that they've had laying around the house, and they're like, oh, look at this, sporting goods. Or I, I forgot I had these baseball cards or these hockey cards or, or whatever it is. And everybody wants – everybody – Everybody thinks they have a treasure, don't they? Everybody you, everybody who comes to you with an appraisal, they all think they've got the fortune. You're exactly right, Brian. And I just heard today that the NBA season is going to restart on July 31st, so that's something to look forward to. Yes. Um, but as far as what people have, yes, most people think what they have is a million dollars. And now is generally spring cleaning season. And so people have had extra time now because they've been in quarantine and they've been digging around and they have been finding things and they have been calling me. Um, It could be anything. I've gotten a lot of calls lately from people that have Chicago Bulls or Michael Jordan things because of the the last dance. And what are, what, if, just in general, what would be the most impressive Bulls item that you've seen? What's the what's something that you somebody brought to you to appraise and you went oh man this is this is the the real deal right here. Well, I just appraised a couple of weeks ago a very unique uh, Chicago Bulls collection. When you went to the United Center and you look up, you see all the banners hanging up from all the different championships. You have the um, Michael Jordan banners, the Scottie Pippen. I just appraised all of those banners. Really? Yep. And what uh, what does one of those banners go for? So it, it depends on the year, and if it's the the Eastern Division Championship, the Central Division, if it says you know World Championship, but they can range anywhere from starting from one thousand dollars on up. 
Wow. So before before we start getting calls and people can call in 312-981-7200, if you have something around the house and you're wondering if this is a valuable piece of sports memorabilia, Michael's the guy. But Michael, what makes you the guy? What's uh, give us give us a little your resume, your background. Why are you such a good appraiser? Okay, I am a certified appraiser through ISA, which is the International Society of Appraisers, and Basically, with them, um, they certify not just sports um, sports appraisers, but all different types of appraisers: art, jewelry, um, antique dinosaur bones. Um, wow. But but they really put you through the ringer, and you have to be a thought leader within the field, and then also be able to correctly um, identify, articulate, and assign values to different items across my particular field, which is sports. Um, and the appraisers, excuse me, the appraisals that I do are not just for insurance values, but also donation. So sometimes somebody wants to donate something to the Baseball Hall of Fame, and in order to get a tax write-off, the IRS looks for somebody like myself that is credentialed by ISA to opine on the value. Okay. And that, that way they can say, hey, uh, Uncle Sam, this baseball that I just uh, donated is worth $8,000. Exactly, because you, because you cannot just tell Uncle Sam that this is worth $8,000. Uncle Sam is not going to believe you. So they have so you have to go out and find somebody like myself that is an independent uh, appraiser to assign the value. Well, first now I'm offended that Uncle Sam would not be- take me at my word. I'm an honorable <laughs> man, Michael. You know you know me to be nothing less. Uh, baseballintheattic.com is Michael's website. Info at baseballintheattic.com is how you can get a hold of uh, Michael via email. 312-379-9090 is the phone number. Uh, let's, let's jump right in because uh, usually that will prime the pump. Uh, but we're waiting for just a minute. Uh, so, you also, not only do you appraise stuff, but you buy things, you buy items as well, correct? Uh, yes. Now, I should tell people if I, so being an appraiser, if I appraise something, I am not allowed to buy it because there is a conflict of interest. Uh, however, yes. However, I will tell you that people do call me and they'll say, Michael, you know, um, my husband passed away. I'm not interested in an appraisal. We're looking to sell. Please make us a fair offer. And then if they accept, that's great. If not... Okay. That's okay too. Yeah, but the, so the, it's, it's two separate entities. When you're appraising, you're working for the client, for the person who brought you the thing to be appraised. And if somebody just wants to sell something and not get it appraised, you can do that too. What are you looking for? When what kind of things do you buy? Okay, um, it can be anything. It could be an autograph. It could be a set of baseball cards from 1965. It could be sports advertising. It could be the um, horse saddle that a uh, horse from a, from a horse that won the Kentucky Derby, um, it, you know, it just kind of runs the gamut. It could be a World Series ring. There's just so many different things within this field that a lot of people wouldn't even think about, but the people have. Well, it's uh, it is a, it's one of those things we all have something. Now, before we get to the calls, Michael, we're going to take a quick break. But if you have a piece of sports memorabilia, memorabilia, why do I always have trouble with that word? If you have sports stuff laying around the house and you think it might be worth something, now is the time to call in 312-981-7200. We'll start your calls with Michael Osaki from Baseball in the Attic. We'll do that right after this on 720 WGN. Oh, I want to rock with you. 
uh, here on WGN. It's Brian Noonan in for Nick. 312-981-7200. Oh, man, your sports memorabilia could be worth a fortune, or it could be worth nothing. I can't tell you that, but Michael Osaki can. He is the owner of BaseballInTheAttic.com. He's the man who can uh, give you an appraisal. Uh, Michael, I'm not the man who called you the dean of Cracker Jack baseball cards. That was Forbes magazine. But uh, I think that's, uh, is that on your business card? If it's not, it should be. Yeah, so a couple of years ago, Forbes magazine, yes, named me the dean of Cracker Jack baseball cards, um, which I had no idea that they were going to um, – bestow me that honor but you know I'll, I'll take it yeah take it take it run with it and maybe that expertise can help donald who's been hanging on he's on the south side hi donald welcome to wgn hi thanks for taking my call sure what do you um got? i well i got a i have a but nolan ryan signed ball and I, I it's been appraised you know i mean it does have a certificate of authenticity on it and all that um and it's in a case it's in like a little transparent round uh, case and a base. There's a base that holds it up, but it also has an accompanying wristwatch made by Fossil, uh, and it has Nolan Ryan's you know, portrait on the, the dial, and um, it's it's a, a limited edition. It's but and it actually says on the ball, I think out of five hundred something. I try I have to get the number right now. Wow, that sounds pretty cool. Okay, so it's so, so I'm going to answer this in two ways because it's kind of a two-parter. You have the baseball and you have the watch. The watch would be 150 to $200. The baseball um, starts at 50 bucks and can go all the way up to a couple hundred dollars depending upon the inscription or no inscription that Nolan Ryan put on the ball. And an inscription is basically um, twofold. The first part is he could say to Bob from Nolan Ryan, but then a different inscription, which would be worth more money, is let's say uh, he wrote uh, a special message, like he put the uh, his career strikeout total or his career no-hitters. Um, something like that would increase the value of the ball. What's on the, what's on the ball there, Donald? Is it I just think the only name? thing besides his signature is, uh, is uh, it shows like the number out of you know, at the set, and so like that four seventy one out of five hundred, something okay. like that. And I, I'm assuming he actually did that, the little extra numbering. Uh, yes. So in, in this case, you you'd probably be fifty to seventy five dollars. Now it's tricky because a lot of different athletes will put one of five hundred or one of a hundred or one of a thousand, but it's really not true because what happens is. In a specific setting, on a specific day or a week, yeah, maybe he signs 500 balls. But he signed tens of, who knows, he's probably signed 100,000 baseballs over the course of his lifetime. So sometimes people think, oh, my God, he only signed 500 balls. And this guy is, you know, <laughs> he's 75 years old. Or, you know, no, it's, it's not the case. Okay. And, so, okay, so, I just said one more thing. Uh, yeah, sure. uh, Bobby. Bobby Brown, I think, was the commissioner, so um, I think that's on the ball. So it's an older ball. It's not one he did last year or something like that. Yeah. Um, good point. So, yeah, so Bobby Brown was the commissioner in the 1980s, um, so, so it would be a vintage ball, and a collector or a potential buyer of the ball would maybe pay uh, a small premium because it is, um, I guess, a vintage signature as opposed to one that was signed yesterday or last week. But still, I would say uh, between fifty and seventy-five bucks. 
Okay. Okay. Well, thanks a lot. That's great. And the watch is worth uh, triple as much. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, the watch is worth more than the ball, which sounds weird. Donald, thank you for, for the call. call. Now, Michael, Donald mentioned that his ball had a certificate of authenticity. We hear that phrase a lot. Are they worth the paper they're printed on? Are they? Should we always believe the certificate of authenticity? Is that a, the be-all, end-all of the appraisal game? No, absolutely not. And unfortunately, um, some people think because they have a piece of paper that says um, uh, from Bob's Baseball Card Shop in Worcester, Massachusetts, that this is real, um, that's not true. Because basically what happens there is my neighbor Scott, who does construction, if he wants on his printer tonight, he can just print off 5,000 letters of authenticity from Nolan Ryan saying that this is real. And then next week he goes to a garage sale or flea market and he starts selling these. And then people, oh, my God, this must be real. It has a letter. Um, So you have to be careful. The most important thing when you're buying autographs is look at the letter of authenticity. Um, Make sure that it's from a reputable person or company um, and not just from Scott the Construction Man. All right. I don't know why Scott would do that, Michael. He seems uh, like an upstanding guy, and yet now you've cast aspersions on him. Uh, I know, Scott. I don't know. Let's say hi to Nick. He's in Glenview. Hi, Nick. Hello, Michael. Hi, Nick. Can you hear me? Yes. Hi. Okay. I have a uh, chunk of floorboard from the old Chicago Stadium um, signed by Michael Jordan. It even has a little bit of the red from the uh, Bulls logo that was on the floor. Okay, Nick. Do you know if that item is numbered? Like sometimes I've seen uh, in, no. in prior. No. Okay. Uh, that no, it's not. No, I do know. I do know that it is not numbered. This was kind of a custom on the spot thing. Okay. Um, depending upon condition of the item and the strength of the, of the Jordan signature, it's going to be anywhere between seven hundred and fifty and one thousand dollars. Whoa. Okay. Cha-ching, okay. Nick. That's not bad. <laughs> yeah, no, nice. Okay, very good. I thank you. This is a great show. I appreciate the information. Our pleasure. Sure. Thanks for Thanks, listening. Nick. Thanks for the call. That's it. Now, is it, Michael, I'm guessing a Jordan autograph is always going to be worth some money. Is it? Is it a, a price like that because it's a unique thing? Like You would think, oh, Michael Jordan, uh, basketball signed or a, a sneaker signed or something like that, but a piece of the floor from... The old stadium, that's pretty unusual. Uh, Yeah, it's definitely unique. And they are out there. Um, You know, there's, I've seen a lot over the years, but really the value when I said $750, the $1,000, back in January this year, so just five months ago, the value would be about half of that. But but right now everything Michael Jordan is exploding because of the last dance and during this quarantine people have nothing to do except buy Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan items so the values have gone way up. Well, there was a story from a couple of weeks ago the backboard and hoop from the uh, the shot that won the game against the Cavaliers went for eighteen grand. That's true. It went for eighteen grand. In fact. Uh, I think the the day that it went up for auction, I got a text message from my mother. She's like, "Oh my god, this is so cool," and and she's right. It's it, <laughs> it is it, very you know, cool. It, it's it's cool, but it's it, it's a very specific um, market. Meaning, you know, 
10 people are not trying to buy this hoop. It's, it, you know, it's big. The, you know, so it's not like a Jordan signature or a Jordan rookie card where you're going to have dozens of people to try and, and buy it. This is a very unique, specific taste. Yeah, it's, uh, that's kind of wild. All right, let's uh, let's see. Who do we go to? There's so many good calls. 312-981-7200. We want to hear all about your sports memorabilia treasures, and we will uh, let you know what they are work we, uh, worth, or Michael will let you know what they're worth. I'll just say, man, that sounds cool. Like I'll probably do with Steve. He's in West Dundee. Hi, Steve. Hey, I was just curious because uh, back in the early 90s, I believe it's 91, 92, and 93 that my set is, but I could be wrong. I actually bought all the packs. I've got complete sets except for a couple of uh, normal cards. I've got all the error cards, including the at the one time one error card went for 65 bucks. I've got three of those. I know it's not that much now. But is it worth finishing out those sets for three to four cards? Um, yes, if you're trying to, to sell it. If not, no big deal. So it's better to, because these are common cards. I mean, these are cheap cards that I'm missing. So to finish out the sets, and if someday I want to sell them, then it's worth it back at that time. Yeah. Because so, I'm not willing to sell right now. Yeah. So in this case, because the, the cards you're missing are common cards, which are basically cheap cards, yeah, right. it probably makes sense to jump on eBay and find them and just spend a couple bucks and finish the set off. Now, the follow-up question to that is, I still have those years unopened packs of stadium clubs. Would it be better to sell those unopened packs or go ahead and open them and hope I find those common cards? <laughs> um, so, yes. So, five years ago, I would have said it's best to just open them up and that's it. But now, um, your best option is to keep them sealed because a lot of people are doing these wax breaks, which are basically... They're going on to YouTube or Facebook Live, and they're um, br- they're opening, breaking packs open in front of a live audience, and so people like that. And so people are paying a little bit of a premium for packs, oh. unopened packs from the 1990s right now. Nice. I've got uh, those three years. I've got hundreds, uh, hundred to two hundred packs of. I believe it's 1991 and 92 of those stadium clubs, is what I have. Nice. Cool. Thank you. Pretty good. Thank you. All right, Steve. Thanks, thanks for Steve. the call. Very cool. Michael, we're going to take a quick break. If you have some sports memorabilia lying around the house and you want to know what it's worth, Michael Osaki is here. Baseballintheattic.com is his website. 312-379-9090. What? No, I'm giving Michael's number, Tom, not our number. He's he, Tom's yelling in my ear. What, what, what? That's Michael's number at Baseball in the yeah. Attic. Our number here is, of course, 312-981-7200. What, did you think I had a stroke who was just shouting out random numbers? <laughs> I, I know what I'm doing uh, for the most part. Yes, so if you want to call Michael at his website, which is at BaseballInTheAttic.com, that number is 312-379-9090. If you have something around the house and you want to talk to Michael right now, like everybody who's on hold does, that number, Tom, is 312-981-7200. All right, Michael, now that we've cleared up all the phone number controversy, hang on, we'll do this, and then we'll come back, and we will get some more appraisals on WGN. 
All right, we're talking sports memorabilia. What's it worth? Michael Osaki is with us. Baseballintheattic.com is his website. 312-981-7200. That's how you get in to talk to us tonight. And Michael will tell you uh, what you've got. Is it a treasure? Is it just a good memory? What is it? I am interested to hear this. Uh, Mary is in Lombard. Hi, Mary. Hello, it's Marion Lombard with the Border Terrier again. Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> Mary, hold on. Hold on one second, Mary. Hold on one second. I want to do that because i got to get Michael on and lock him. Okay, Michael, you're there. Now, back to Mary. Hi, Mary. So you got your Hi. Border Terrier. The, uh, yes. Unless your Border again. Terrier played soccer, I don't know if it's a, a sports memorabilia <laughs> collectible. I'm not a sports person, but I do have, it's only on a scrap of paper, um, M. Ali. That I got myself. I mean, it's so it's just Muhammad Ali. Yes, but it doesn't say Muhammad, or it just says M. M. How'd you get it? I left work, uh, and there was a crowd forming on the street on LaSalle between, or on uh, doesn't matter Monroe between LaSalle and Franklin, and I pushed my way into the crowd, and he was sitting in a car parked along the street. Wow! All right, so Michael, what do you think? Mary's got Mary's got M. Ali on a piece of paper. It's Muhammad Ali, one of the best boxers ever, and of course, he spent some time here in Chicago. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it's actually I got it in the seventies. Yeah, and usually when I think about Muhammad Ali signatures, a you know he signed programs and 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 posters, but. He would always sign Muhammad Ali, and in the early days, uh, Cassius Clay. But M. Ali is actually kind of rare, even though it's on like a random piece of paper. There is good value there, and I would estimate it to be between one hundred and fifty and two hundred dollars. Wow! Oh, really? What do you think oh. of that, Mary? Wow, that's pretty good. <laughs> think yeah. Of, think of all the toys you could buy for that border terrier now. <laughs> He's got a box full already. Okay, thank you. You're very welcome. That's exciting. So why, now, uh, Michael, I would have, see, this is why you're the certified appraiser, and I'm the goofball who's uh, asking you questions. I would have thought just M. Ali wouldn't have been, wouldn't have been as valuable. But because, is it more valuable because that's not how he usually signed? Yeah, yeah. so, um, Muhammad Ali's signatures over the past couple of years have been decreasing, um, but a true collector of Muhammad Ali, some, um, may not have just an M Ali signature. He okay. or she has all these different Muhammad Ali signatures, um, these different mediums, but an M Ali on a piece of paper and it's a vintage signature from the seventies. As he got older, his signature changed, he got right. bigger, more, more loopy. Um, that, People definitely want that. Okay, very cool. 312-981-7200. Do you have a treasure at home? I don't know. Let's see if uh, Jack does. He's on the north side. Hi, Jack. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. What do you got? So every uh, World Series, the the news media, the press, they receive uh, press pins um, for World Series games. And what would be... Uh, the appraisal for the 2016 Cubs, and we. Did you say pin or pen? You're breaking up, Jack. Jack, are you there? Oh, I'm sorry. Can you hear me? Yeah. Did you say pin or pen? 
pin, like uh, you know, collector pins. Oh, okay. So that, there's a and there it's a special one for the press. A, so for so every World Series, uh, the the press receives just for the press uh, these you know collector pins okay. uh, from both teams. And what would the uh, 2016 uh, oh. Cubs and Indians? Now, are you are you in the press, or did you uh, knock one? I of the, received uh, them as a gift. Ah, very nice. Okay, Michael, these sound pretty cool. Yeah. So the press pins have been along for quite a while, actually. Um, the whole point of them, especially back in the day, we're talking 100 years ago, was when people start walking around the stadium. If you have a press pin on your lapel the security would immediately know, okay, this guy is part of the press. He can, he can go up to the press box. When it first started, they were not pins. They were actually ribbons that people wore from their lapel. Um, oh. But go, go, going back to Jack's question, 2016 Cubs World Series a press pin is a couple hundred bucks. Not bad. Just for the Cubs or for both Cubs and Indians? Oh, you have both. I see. Okay. Uh, the the Cubs would be $200, and the Indians would be about half that. Oh, interesting. All right. Thanks very much. Right. Very exciting. Good luck, Jack. Thanks. Thanks. So that's that's not bad. That's pretty cool. You know, it's interesting. Like, those those pins are pretty cool. They they really are. All right. We were to, we've been a lot of talk about Michael Jordan now. Last dance is going on, as you said, Michael. People are all excited. Gary is in Chicago. He's got a little something. Hi, Gary. Hello. How are you guys? We're good. What do you got? Uh, first of all, I turned the radio off. Um, you can hear me okay? Yes, we can hear you perfectly. Yes. All right. First time caller, never called in, um, enjoying the show. Well, thank you. So Glad you're I, here. Yes. And, Michael, I have a question regarding a 1985 Michael Jordan star basketball card, but it's not the individual regular size card. It's the heat sealed uh, plastic with, I think, it's a set of 10 people. It's the oversized card, I'll call it. I probably got this five years ago. I do a lot of trading. And it's a pack of 10, but it's definitely the oversized Michael Jordan. And that's Steve Johnson. It looks like card number 10 is Steve Johnson. But Okay. I don't know if it's unique or not. So this is this is a kind of difficult to answer. The best thing to do is take some photos and email me. The reason Wait, being, I'm the, caller, I'm the caller that doesn't get an answer. I love it. <laughs> so, Gary, we always have one caller. You just happen to be that caller. Congratulations. Do I win, do I win something? <laughs> yes, you win You win absolutely no information, and you, you are free of the burden of having to know yeah. that your card is either hugely valuable or uh, put it in the spokes of your bicycle. Thank you, Mr. Goofball. I appreciate you are very that. welcome. Hang on, but Let Michael, Michael can Michael um, can uh, help you out though. How how can you help him out, Michael? Yeah, he can just email me at michael at baseballintheattic dot com. And the reason why I'm having him do this is because um, the, over the years there's been so many different fraudulent and fake cards. In this particular case, I'm not saying his card is no good. I'm just saying that I've seen so many bad ones. That really it's, okay. It's important. It's important for me to see it. Ah, sure, okay. I understand that. I will do that, and I appreciate it, you guys. Thank you. Thanks, Gary. Take yeah. care. Oh, and bye again, bye. that's Michael at baseballintheattic.com. And uh, you people can do that. People can do that all the time, even if they're not talking to us this morning. They can email you and say, "Hey, look, this is uh, this is what I got." 
what what kind of things is it better? I mean, I'm I'm guessing, Michael, it's better for you to see everything. But what things uh, like Gary's card? Something. What do you really have to see with your own eyes to to make an educated guess? Um, so there's a couple different things. Um, I like to see the paper that it's on. So sometimes, depending upon the year and the card might look too shiny or too glossy, and then I know the paper stock is not correct. Um, sometimes the image looks fuzzy, and then I know, oh, well, this is maybe made on someone's home printer because the original uh, authentic copy should be a clear photo, not a fuzzy photo. Um, sometimes the colors are wrong or, or different. Um, so it just, it just, uh, just kind of depends on the year. Um, but those are a couple things I look for. All right. Uh, let's see. Oh, this is, uh, they all sound good. 312-981-7200. If you uh, have something laying around the house that you want Michael to give you his opinion on, Roberta is in Berkeley. Hi, Roberta. Hi. Uh, I've got two uh, 45-inch vinyl records of the Cubs chorus singing Gold Cubs Gold with Steve Goodman. And the other one is Men in Blue with Jody Davis, Leon Durham, Keith Moreland, Gary Woods, and Rick Sutcliffe. Oh, wow. Now, where did, okay. where, did you get these new and just hang on to them, or did you find I just, them? Somewhere? I don't even remember. where I'm a Cub fan anyway. Where I got them, but with <laughs> Steve Goodman, I know he was famous. He died. These were from 1984 when they were going for the World Series, and they yeah. never got in. All right, Michael, yeah. what do you think? Those are unique items and fun items to have and listen to, but the value is negligible. It's maybe ten bucks, fifteen bucks. Is that because there were so many of them? Um, not no, not necessarily the case. It's just um, the market is very limited for that right now. Okay, and uh, Roberta, I'm sorry. You know, it's probably a better memory than a financial uh, than a financial things, but. Thank you for the call. We appreciate it. You were echoing a little bit, so I know we uh, put you on hold there. Uh, Michael, Things the market ebbs and flows. So was there a time when maybe those records were a little more valuable and they just fell out of favor? What what causes something to be popular one day and not as uh, popular or valuable the next? Well, in this particular case, it's technology. So you think about like records and vinyl um, and the different and CDs and... Uh, now everything is digital. Um, it's kind of like when I was growing up, like it was beta, then VHS, and then you just record something on your t- So um, it, it, it just kind of technology and people start to, to, to age out and, and, okay. and, and, and aren't really interested in certain things. What would be what's besides uh, the Michael Jordan stuff now because of the last dance? And let me, is that worldwide or is that a regional thing the the jordan popularity um it's worldwide it's okay. worldwide um in fact a pair of his uh a game used sneakers just sold uh 10 days ago for five hundred thousand dollars what wow yeah. and i'm pretty certain the buyer was uh not from this country holy cow all right so michael jordan stuff popular but you said you said which i found a little uh, hard to believe his, the value of some of his stuff had started to go down until this uh, this documentary came out. That seemed that seemed shocking because there aren't too many athletes 
who achieved the status of Michael Jordan? Was it just that the market was flooded with his stuff, or that, well, he's been out of the game for a little while, and you know, people people tend to forget and they go with whatever's hot? There's always been more demand than supply for Michael Jordan. Anything, mm-hmm. um, especially his signatures. I mean, he's been contracted with Upper Deck, um, and you know, he'll do. He's done a couple signings here and there, but because he's worth. Two billion dollars. He doesn't need uh, hundred thousand to <laughs> sign autographs, right? And right. so, for him, it, you know, he hasn't signed in in years. So, um, but because he's such a legend and and the best to ever play basketball, that there's always been more uh, more demand than supply. Now, with the last dance, it was just a perfect storm. Everyone's in quarantine, nothing to do. Right. Can't spend your money uh, jumping on an airplane or going to St. Martin or going to your local restaurant, so you just, you know, buy sports memorabilia. All right, very exciting. Michael Osaki is here. Baseballintheattic.com is his website. We're going to take a quick break, then we're going to get to Mike and Peter and Ray, and you if we have time, 312-981-7200. Michael, hang on. We will be right back. It's WGN. It's Brian Frenick. We are talking sports memorabilia with Michael Osaki, the owner of BaseballInTheAttic.com. 312-981-7200. We've got Michael for a few more minutes. What do you got? Let's say hi to Ray. He's been hanging on in Buffalo Grove. Hi, Ray. Brian, Michael, hi. How are you? We are good. Hey, what do you got? This is a very odd bit, and I'll be as quick <laughs> as, as possible. Okay. Very good friend of mine. His grandfather was born just before World War One. died in the late 90s. Uh, apparently, as a young man, he attended Loyola, and he was kind of a gopher around Wrigley Field. So he did odd tasks for the Bears and the Cubs. My friend had some boxes from his estate in his garage. He was looking through them, and he found what appears to be the 1932 payroll ledger from the Bears. And he called me over about a month and a half ago, and so this thing has been out there for like 20 years. It's in not perfect shape by any means. But in paging through it, each player had an individual page week by week, what they received, what they received was next to nothing. There were some that were getting 75 bucks a game. Oh, wow. There's a page for Bronco Nagurski. There's a page for Red Grange. All the handwriting is consistent. It appears that the same individual entered everything. There's no mention of George Hallis whatsoever, and he didn't coach the team that year, which I didn't know, because that was the year they wound up playing for the the championship in the Chicago Stadium. Michael, I guess, how would this fellow go about getting it properly appraised? Well, first off, Ray, and you're calling from Buffalo Grove. I grew up in Buffalo Grove, so, um, so I'd definitely be happy to help you, but... You know, there's probably so many different pages in there that I would really have to go through them all because in times like what happens is something like this, and I've gone through some payroll ledgers before from like the Boston Bruins and Celtics and some other teams from decades ago, is there might be a page that sticks out. Um, It could be a specific player. It could be – or. And when I say a specific player, it doesn't have to be a Hall of Famer. It could be from a player that maybe only played for that one season or a couple of games, but he's mentioned in there. And then that would be interesting to collectors. And then overall, 
the condition is important. And Ray, Ray mentioned that the condition isn't the greatest, but I guess that's okay considering it's, you know, from 1933. Michael, can I say one thing about the condition? The pages, and it's approximately 18 inches by like 9 or 10 inches. The pages are all perfectly legible, no rune, no rust. The cover itself is like a payroll ledger of that era. There is a little bit of rippage, like, to the left, like, by the kind of binding. And that's mm -hmm. it. And the only odd entry in terms of everyone is listed game by game except Red Grange. And there simply are monthly, like, payments to him as if he was contracted under a different set of circumstances than everyone else. Mm. Yeah, something like that, it's definitely collectible. If you just shoot me an email... Um, I definitely um, have to take a look at it, though, What's and then that? tell you what the value would be. What's that email address, Michael? It's michael at baseballintheattic.com. Michael, right. let me ask real quick, finally, and thank you, guys. If it were authentic, if you were ballparking, what do you think? Well, I'm sure it is authentic. It sounds like it's definitely authentic. Um, the issue is just, again, going through it and finding out, the, looking at the content. Um, so right now it's hard to ballpark. The value because I'm kind of shooting blind right now. All right, so Ray, send him that email at michael at baseballintheattic.com, and uh, and then hopefully this sounds this sounds pretty cool, Michael. It sounds definitely very unique. It's great, and you know, it, it's nice that some of those things are are still out there. Yeah. Um, for a lot of teams, they got tossed away in the garbage decades ago. Well, now our next our next guy, I am jealous not of uh, his item, which I'll probably be later, but from his locale. Uh, Mike is calling us from Hawaii. Mike, uh, really, are you just calling to rub it in? Uh, no, no, aloha, guys. Hey, I'm a, originally a Chicagoan, but I but I've been living in Hawaii for about three years now. So, um, what took you know, I, 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 always, my heart's always in Chicago. What took you out there? Uh, to don't do say a plane. Uh, <laughs> That's fine. I wish I would have been uh, thinking quickly like you. No, but uh, I, to do the Ironman triathlon. Uh, wow. That was back in my early years when I had a no marriage, not no marriage, no kids. You know, just kind of a different, different uh, responsibilities. And, and then you just stayed. That's man, oh man. Yeah, good for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, thanks, and you know, um, but uh, thanks, thanks for for stating that. Uh, but um, again, heart's always going to be in Chicago. There you so, go. Um, yeah, so what I what I have, it's kind of unique. Um, uh, it's unique from this standpoint of I think how it was obtained. Um, it's a it's a signed Michael Jordan T-shirt, which is maybe not so unique, but but uh, it, it's from it's a '96 World Champion uh, reference. This is the the um, the uh, inking of it, and and also the inking has a, it, three images: Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and Dennis Rodman, and underneath there with the inking is their signature as to how they, you know, press the T-shirt. But the original, and so it's kind of in a, some odd colors, like a red and yellow and um, kind of funky-looking T-shirt. Um, but uh, the signature is in a Sharpie, Michael Jordan, kind of uh, written and um, very visible. Um, and it's been faded, but it's been kept in a, um, uh, a glass frame box for years. And there's been some, I think it's just because of age and maybe the temperature of Hawaii, there's a little bit of fading of coloring, discoloring of the white t-shirt, but that's just to give you a perspective of it. Tell me the background and how you got Jordan's signature. Oh, 
Sure. Yeah. Yeah. My, my cousin, again, born and raised in Chicago. So, um, um, but my cousin, um, works for the phone company. So this was, uh, after the, um, 96 season. And, you know, at, during those times, uh, I'm sure everyone remembers, there's just craziness, fun summertime. And there were still people selling t-shirts, you know, on the, on the streets mm-hmm. of, Hey, you know, uh, championship shirts, et cetera, this $5. So my, my cousin, was working uh, for the phone company, um, is is at lunch hour, and he sees a, a, a vehicle that looks really unique for this area. He, he worked downtown. So he's like, whoa, that's that's a car that doesn't really belong here that much. And and um, and then he kind of looks, and the person getting out looks, you know, totally different, just, you know, and it was MJ. And it was, he, he was about a half a block away. So the story goes that my cousin... Uh, what am I going to do? I, I got to go say hi to him. And then there was a vendor selling those t-shirts. So he gets the t-shirt, he buys it for $5 and then he runs over there and uh, he has, he asked Jordan for a signature and he signed it. Got so it. Wow. Okay. Nice about it. Cool. Cool story. That's great. Um, yeah. as far as, yeah. the, as far as the value, so you stated that the uh, shirt has faded a little bit and so is the signature. Yeah. So, so you're talking about probably between four and 500 bucks. Whoa. Oh, okay. All right. Not yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that is nice. And well, I was going to give it back to my cousin, so it's not really mine, but I'm just safe keeping it. <laughs> well, listen, as yeah. the value goes up, Mike, you maybe you want to hang on to it. You know, we'll see what happens. <laughs> that's well, nice. Thanks for hey, the guys, call, thanks. Mike. Thank you. You take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Oh, wow. Call there. That's pretty cool. All right, Michael, we got time for one more, and that is uh, Peter. He is in Crown Point. Hello, Peter. Hey, guys. Great show. Thank you very much. I have a question. Um Oh, actually, a, a comment. The lady that had the records, oh, 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 what years did she say those records were from? 84. Yeah. Well, okay, well, the records, I understand the uh, technology thing involved there, but records just by themselves are a completely different genre of collectibles. If she wants to get rid of those, literally, she should take them to a Chicago record shop, and, you know, you might find a Chicago fan in a Chicago record shop, and because they collect records as well, they may have a love for those records, because records, like I said, are in a different category the other ah. thing that came to mind just recently was this, was um, a friend of mine found some old, 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 they're called T2, T206 baseball cards. They're like from way back in like 1911, I guess. Are those, even if they're beat to heck, they're really pretty cards. What are those worth and how rare are they? I mean, I, mean, I, I think they're just gorgeous. They're so old. Yeah, so the T206 cards were manufactured between 1909 and 1911 in those three wow. consecutive years, and there's 524 cards in the set. And to your point, the colors are beautiful. The, the reds, the greens, the purples, I mean, yeah. some of the best-looking cards to ever be made. Um, okay. Now, a beater, so a really you know, beat-up uh, you know, common card, is, okay. about 10 or, is about $10 or $15. They okay. are not, the cards are not rare, um, they're out there, but the value is really dependent upon the condition. Okay, and I heard the holy grail of the T206 is this one card, uh, some Honus Wagner. Pirate named Honus Wagner, I guess it's ridiculous, the story, he found out they were printing his card, and he was a big Bible guy, so he ran into the company and said, quit printing my card, kids are buying smokes to get to my card, I guess legally <laughs> they had a quit, exactly. That's right. They had to quit making the card, and it's so rare. Does Buddy have one of those? 
Oh, I wish. But the card, <laughs> even like even like Mike was saying, the Peter cards are so beautiful. And I told him, why don't you just make a big frame and just frame them all? You don't even like baseball anyway. Why don't I just buy them from you? You know, exactly so. But no, I'm working on that. But like, yeah, those cards are just so good looking and they're so old. But you say they're still out there, huh? They're still out there. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, I need to find some of those myself. There you go. Well, Peter, thank hey. you for the call. Great show. Thanks, guys. Take care. Bye-bye. So there's, there were all different kinds of cards, Michael. It, it, in the last minute that we have together, you mentioned to people were talking about having a whole set. Is it is it that the best way to go to try to have the whole set? Um, usually, but, you know, if someone is missing a couple of common cards, it's not the end of the world. Meaning, you know, let's say a set is, uh, uh, let's say it says a thousand dollars, and you have you have a hundred percent of the key cards that contribute to ninety percent of the value. Um, that's good. Um, sometimes, you know, it, it, sometimes it's fine to just find the common cards, like on yeah. eBay, and just fill out the set. Just fill it out. All right. Before we before we let you go, tell people how they can get a hold of you if they have something that they want you to appraise. They can email me, Michael, at BaseballInTheAttic.com, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, at BaseballInTheAttic.com, or they can call me. I'll be around for like another hour, 312-379-9090. All right. It is always good to talk to you. Uh, on your way out, what's uh, what's the one thing, if you could get it, what would you want? The T206 Honus Wagner. There you go. Look at that, calling it back. Michael, always a pleasure. Take care. Thanks a lot. Stay safe, man. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Tom. Good to talk to you. That's Michael Osaki. Baseballintheattic.com is his website. News is next. Oh, Hall and Oates. Okay. <laughs> Wait a minute. Right? Yeah, it's Hall and Oates. It well, is. Brian Noonan in for Nick D. Nick taking uh, the week off. I am here with you. 312-981-7200. You are always welcome and encouraged to call in, jump in, whatever you want to talk about. Uh, even if it's, it might not be what we're talking about, but you might have another agenda. So call up, talk to Tom, see what his agenda is. Uh, again, if you, if you didn't get through because uh, Michael... Osaki from Baseball in the Attic was here. If you didn't get through, you can always get a hold of him. Michael at BaseballInTheAttic.com. Uh, I'm tra- Dads, I need to talk to you. Because Father's Day is coming up, and that means you are going to be inundated with uh, some some gifts. And let's be honest, Dads, it's not always a thing. And we don't care, right? You, as a dad, you don't care if you get something for Father's Day. You basically probably just, uh, you know, maybe you want to spend time. You say, oh, I want to spend time with the family. That'd be nice. Maybe I'm going to, uh, I want to go out in the backyard and cook. I want to be left alone, whatever it is. I used to always say, when my daughter would say, oh, what do you want for Father's Day? I would say, I want a piece. And she'd say, a piece of what? I'd say, a piece of quiet. Because when she was little, she didn't, uh, you know, she didn't know it was peace and quiet. She thought it was peace of quiet. So that's what I always wanted, a peace of quiet. I'm wondering, dads, what is the strangest Father's Day gift you have received? And I'm asking you that because I have a... uh, a story here with some of the weirdest Father's Day gifts that you, as a dad, might want more than uh, what your kids are going to give you. And if you are looking for a unique gift for your dad, what have you done so far in the past? What what really has resonated with your dad? And uh, do you think your dad would want some of these things? We're just going to blow through some of these because I... Uh, 
I'm, I think like most of you, I don't, I don't carry the way. You, you, you know, you can wish me a happy Father's Day. That's terrific. Uh, I couldn't tell you what my daughter has done. I know she's done stuff for me, and uh, maybe it makes me seem ungrateful. I don't know. Uh, I don't remember. You know, I'm, I'm sure uh, maybe sometime we've gotten something to eat or uh, we just hang out, whatever it is. But this is where men and women differ. Like Father's Day, I've always said, and I think a lot of you might agree with me, Father's Day gets short shrift, right? But it's not a big deal, even though it might seem like it because I'm talking about it now. So, <laughs> so dads, do you care? about Father's Day other than the cursory. You want it, You want people to remember it. You want your kids to say, hey, happy Father's Day. And you go, oh, thanks. That's very nice. Now what are we going to do? Well, I'm going to go work in the yard like I always do, or I'm going to go do this. That's all. All right, but here's how I saw this list, and these were some odd gifts, some weird gifts that your dad might want um, more than what you're going to give him. A merman tail. Now, this is like a bathing suit, but it's a, a tail for a merman. I don't know anybody that I know who's a dad. I can't see them wearing this, but uh, it might be fun. There's also luggage that you can get featuring your dad's face on it. I guess that would be fun if you travel a lot and you uh, are tired of looking at a million different black suitcases so that uh, you can't really tell which one is which and you don't have to put a little piece of uh, ribbon on the handle to make sure that you know what it is. But... These are, they've taken candid pictures of their dad and put them on these suitcases. And I kind of, it's a good looking, good looking suitcase, you know. Now this I would use, but I know there's other people who would use them more. Vulcan earbuds. So they're earbuds that make your ears look like Dr. Spock or Mr. Spock. Is it Mr. Spock? Yeah, it's Mr. Spock. Dr. Spock is the, uh, is the baby doctor. But uh, they, you know, they're yellow. They look like a Mr. Spock ears. A pot for your pot. So it's uh, everything a dad needs to grow his own weed except for the seeds. There is a coupon included for that. So if your dad wants to, uh, you know, start growing the chronic in the backyard, maybe this is his thing. Captain Jean-Luc Picard face palm sculpture. I'm sensing a theme. There's a number of uh, Star Trek type of uh, type of gifts on this. This is, you know... It's a fun little deal. Stretchy Donald Trump doll. Mm, I'll pass on that one. A be- Now this I would like, a beef jerky bouquet. So they've taken beef jerky and they've shaped it into, a, it looks like roses. And then you get the bouquet of beef jerky. Now that would be fun. So, you know, maybe your dad, I, I'm a guy who would like, I, I like flowers. So if you gave me a bouquet of flowers, eh, you know. I'd put them on the mantle. It'd be, it'd be fun. But if you give me a bouquet of beef jerky for Father's Day, man, oh man, suddenly I'm the happiest guy on earth. If you give me, but you know what you need to water a bouquet of beef jerky? Beer. So you have to have the beer with the beef jerky. Am I wrong? I don't believe so. Uh, wait a minute. This isn't, this isn't Mary with the, uh, the terrier again, is it? Is it terrier Mary? Ah, Terrier Mary. That's, and I, I'm sorry to call you Terrier Mary, but that's how I know you now with the, with the Terrier. <laughs> yeah, it's me again. Um, <laughs> hold it. Echo, stop. I have to turn off the radio. Is that the dog? <laughs> um, no, the Echo, you know, the Echo thing. Oh, so do you like, all right, do you like having that in your house, Mary? Yes, I do, very much. Do you? Okay. And, and what do you, what do you, what will it do for you other than turn down the radio? 
Oh, she just talked. Um, anyway, back to the <laughs> gift I gave my long-gone father. Yes. Um, it was a wastebasket made to look like a golf bag, but my father absolutely did not golf at all. <laughs> so how I came up with that, I have no idea. I was going to say, if your dad doesn't golf, what would make you think, hey, the golf bag wastebasket is the perfect gift? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he died in 73, so this is a lot of years ago, but I have no idea how I came up with that. <laughs> now, can I ask how it was received? Did your dad enjoy it? Well, I remember it sitting in the basement by his chair, so maybe he <laughs> kind of used it. But <laughs> well, it's a, Listen, Dad's like a useful gift. That is a, it, it may not be his passion, golf, but it is a practical gift. Because as you're sitting in your big chair, you've got, you know, maybe a Kleenex, a newspaper clip, something you're going to, you need a wastebasket. So I'm sure every time he threw something in there, he went, oh, that Mary, I don't, I don't, I don't understand the golf bag, but I sure do like a good wastebasket. Yeah. Uh, you never know, Mary. long gone, so I don't know. You never know. Another time I gave him a book, which he did very much like. So. See, there you go. It's, it's always hit and miss with dads, because let's be honest, dads, and I am one, we're hard to read sometimes. You don't really yeah. know. We don't need. You go. What do you want? Uh, nothing. What do you need? Nothing. So it's it's very hard. I I empathize for all of you, myself included. I was in the same boat with my dad. It's it's hard. It's very hard. That's why I think just a hearty Happy Father's Day is going to go a long way. Yeah, sometimes that's the best. All right. So what's the terrier doing right now, Mary? We got you know, We we've been following the ta- the the border terrier all night. We, we He's don't... standing there looking for a treat from me. To, uh, tell him it's bedtime. Kirk, speak. Tell... There. Wow. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> Very nice. Well, now you got to give him a treat because he, he followed your directions. Okay, I'll tell him. It's right. from you. All right. There you go, Mary. Thanks again. Talk <laughs> Thank to you, you later. Bye. Sure, bye-bye. Look at that. The dog. That's pretty good. I tell you what, Tom. Uh, dogs are m- really, that's who I focus the uh, target audience. A lot of people worry about humans listening. Yeah, take it or leave it. I wish I could train you to, to be that good. I, I good luck, you Brian. Speak. I have been for, <laughs> been for hours. You don't give me a treat though. See, that's there's gonna the be treat a comes reward. at the end. Do you not listen to Steve Dell? You have to give you have to give some incentive. There has to be mm-hmm. something that goes along with it. What would you What would you like as a treat? What would be your your end of show treat? I don't want an end of show treat. Just a hammer right between the eyes. That'd pretty much do it. Uh, we'll go. Through, we'll talk a little bit more about Father's Day. We've got a lot to get to, but first we have to do this. It's WGN. All right, Ryan Noonan in for Nick. A couple more. A uh, couple more things from this list of unusual uh, dad gifts. Weird Father's Day gifts. Uh, trust me, uh, your dad doesn't want this. He doesn't want a unicorn taco holder. I don't know. I don't know your father. Uh, I don't. I, I know my father. Rest in peace. I know he would have never wanted a unicorn taco holder. One, because he hated tacos. He did not, for whatever reason, my dad did not like Mexican food. I don't know what had happened to him in his youth, but we were... We he got would, bit by a taco. He could have been attacked by a street vendor. There could have been a chalupa incident that I was not privy to. But uh, the only time we could have Mexican food at the house uh, was when he wasn't there. So that would be taco night. Uh, if like if he had to work later, if he had to be somewhere, um, then it would be ooh, let's get some hamburger and we'd make tacos. And it was big, all oh, big things. 
at the Noonan House to have tacos when my dad wasn't around. Uh, but that's on that list, the weirdest thing. They had a uh, – this. now this I would like if my daughter is listening at 220. There is a portable pizza oven. This looks terrific. Um, it's a portable pizza oven. It lets your dad make piles of pizza. It's the Uni 3, uh, the Uni 3 portable wood-fired outdoor pizza oven. That would be fantastic. Because I would spend, I don't know, is that something you would like? I would enjoy standing out on the patio making myself pizza. It's the world's first portable pallet pizza oven, and I love the alliteration in the description, so that makes me want it even more. The portable pizza oven. That's the one thing on this list that I'm saying, yeah, definitely, that's the way to go. Uh, Tom, would you ever have given your father some uh, preserved horse turds as a Father's Day gift? No, he was full of them already. Really? <laughs> I don't, wow, I don't want to get involved no, in I don't, that. I don't, mean to, I don't mean to speak ill of the dead. I loved my father, but uh, <laughs> no, I, I I would not have. No, I, but but they are, uh, it's a Father's Day gift. Each jar contains preserved poop from Silver Charm, a Hall of Fame thoroughbred that ran in the Kentucky Derby in 1997. <laughs> so it is a very niche gift for the very niche dad, who is a horse racing fanatic. Maybe your dad lost the house betting on this nag, and you want, <laughs> you want to, to remind him. You want to remind him every day. Here, hey, take this can of crap. That's right. Remember, you know, you want to know why we're living in the street, Dad? Because this is what you bet on: a jar of poop. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. Trucker Rich, welcome back. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing good. Yeah, back about ninety two or ninety three, I think it was. Uh, my dad in World War Two was a ball gunner on a bomber. Oh, wow! And they had an air show and. Uh, they had a B-17 bomber there, so I bought him a flight on that. Oh, that's very and, cool. How did he like it? Oh, it was a good time, bad time, you know. I mean, after all, you know, you're up there being shot at, so sure, that brought sure. back some bad memories. But, you know, you can see you can see his eyes light up, you know. Yeah. And they even let him, they even let him crawl down in the ball when they're, oh, they wow. were, uh, you know, when it was on the ground. So Yeah. That has now. Was your dad a was your dad a tall guy or a shorter guy? No, he's a short guy. I was going to say you'd have to be pretty small. I'm guessing to be one of those ball turret gunners, right? Yes. Yeah. He's. Let's see. I'm six two, two eighty five, and dad at the his most weight after he retired. He's about five six, five four, and he got up to one hundred and forty pounds. Oh wow! Okay. So, so yeah. he was a little guy. Man. So he almost had room to he almost had room to spare, but you know, that's it amazing. was kind of a yeah. I, I can see where it would thing. be bittersweet, you know, where you're like you said. There's some there's some bad memories, but he made it back, so he got to you know got to relive it a little right. bit. Yeah, so it was pretty cool. Yeah, that is know. very cool. Um, so, yeah. all, right. all right, what are you we'll, haul, uh, what are you hauling today, Rich? Uh, coated foundry sand. Coated foundry sand. All right, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to show my ignorance. What are you using? What do they use coated foundry sand for? Making molds, and the factory I deliver to makes parts for Caterpillar and John Deere. Okay. And some smaller parts for some of these. Uh, the reason they're considered an essential is they're making parts for this company that makes respirators. Or, oh. you know, the. Uh, yeah, I guess they're called respirators in a hospital and yeah. when you go in for COVID. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, that's pretty well. slow, but, but, you know, three days a week, 
but it, hey, it's better than better than nothing. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, be careful out there, Rich. Thanks for the call. Yep. Have a good evening. Thank you. You too. Bye bye. Wow. See, look at what we're learning tonight. We're learning about coated foundry sand. Mm-hmm. We're learning about all kind of stuff. We learned about a Honus Wagner baseball card earlier. We learned uh, that you don't like dogs for whatever reason. That's a, a frightening uh, discovery. So if you haven't been, listen, if you haven't been here since 11, you missed a lot of information. We've been giving out a lot of information. We know that I want a portable pizza oven for the patio for Father's Day. Well, I think every red-blooded American man should want that. Yes, that's as I as I was going through the list, a lot of them were goofy. But then that was the one item where I said, "Yeah, now this is an item I'd put it out back with the grill and the smoker, and mm-hmm. just have, uh, and then I could basically live on the deck." Do you have a smoker? Of course, I what have kind a smoker. Of you got? Right now, right now I'm running a Weber Bullet, mm-hmm. the Weber Smoky Mountain uh, cooker. Okay. I've had everything from I've had the big uh, the big long drum smoker to, but now I like this is. This is compact. This is pretty easy. I just uh, used it uh, on Sunday. Did some ribs on there. Yeah. I've got a smoker in my backyard, too. Do you? Yeah. His what name's you Jim, but I can't get him to leave. Good, Bowden. Very funny. Hilarious. <laughs> I, did, I did have smoked uh, pork this past weekend, <laughs> so I think I might, I might have to- Are you sure? You sound you'd say, you'd say, like you're not really sure what it was. It's smoked uh, well, it was, it was It was the other other white meat or whatever. I don't know. Pork what, is the other white meat. It is the other That's white meat. It's delicious. So yeah. I think I might have to- I actually don't know how to uh, really grill, not, you, not, not in any meaningful way. What do you mean you don't know how to grill? Well, I, I, I've, I grew up with a- we had a propane- yeah, you know, uh, grill, but sure. I was never allowed. I was never allowed near it. No, you weren't. The fa- the, uh, listen, the man of the family, the well, alpha, has to run. He the grill. he was running the grill. Sure. Or my mom was very good at grilling. Okay, She's very good grill. I never taught me how, and for some reason, I was possessed to go on Craigslist and buy one of those little Weber, ke- you know, kind of like a big kettle grill. Yeah, the kettle, just the Weber kettle. Yeah, just runs off of charcoal. Sure, I, I do not know how to start it. What? I have no, no idea. Oh my goodness! It couldn't be easier, and and the Weber kettle is a great first grill. Oh That's, boy! I've had many. I started out with a Weber kettle. I've had many Weber kettles over the course of time. At one time, I was running a Weber gas and a Weber kettle. So it's it's shocking to me that you don't know how to light a grill. It's very easy. Okay. Here's what you do: go go anywhere, get yourself a bag of Kingsford charcoal. Does Boy, it have to be that brand? It doesn't have to be. <laughs> But, you know, Kingsford, I, I'm not paid by Kingsford. I've just always used that's, Kingsford. That's preferred it's, it's briquettes. A, it's a, a preferred briquette. Okay. And if you were if you were to read a lot of the Weber books, uh, mm-hmm. they, they you know, they Weber, like Weber makes their own charcoal and stuff, but that's, sure. they make uh, more lump stuff for smoking. So if you're mm-hmm. going to just grill in the kettle, get yourself, some, get yourself some Kingsford. If not, get whatever, Royal Oak, whatever kind of charcoal's around. It doesn't matter. Now, here's where the debate's going to come in. The easy way for you, a novice, is just get yourself a bottle of lighter fluid. Again, not not lighter fluid like butane for your Zippo. Just lighter fluid. You make yourself a nice pile. What are you What are you cooking? Two thing Two things. One for you. One for your lady. Yeah. It's, all right. Make a nice little pile right in the middle. A nice little pyramid of charcoals right in the middle of the grill. Now you've taken off the top grate that you're cooking on, so now you're on the bottom grate. You know what I mean? Yeah. All right. So you make yourself a little pyramid, douse it with the lighter fluid. Light it. Whoosh. It's going to be excellent. You're going to, that, that, that volcanic whoosh, it sounds good. You're going to feel manly. You're going to feel like a, a primal 
surge through your body. You have created fire. You cheated, but you created fire. All right, now you go inside, get yourself an IPA, relax, because you got about 15, 20 minutes before the coals are ready. You know how you know the coals are ready? Of course you don't. You don't know how to grill. Come out, they're all ashy. They're gray and ashy. Okay, 15 minutes. Now spread those spread those out a little bit. Take your take your tongs, whatever. Spread them out a little bit flat on your uh, on the bottom grate there. Put your top grate on. Let it heat for a couple minutes. Maybe put the lid on. Let some heat build up in there. Boom! Slap your meat on. Don't put that in out of context next. Week. Oh, hey, yo. Um, now it depends what you're cooking. What do, what are you cooking? I'm probably gonna get some turkey burgers. Turkey burgers. All right, easy enough. You don't want to flip the meat too much. Don't handle your meat too much. This whole segment is going to be on out yeah, of context, no, and I'm, I'm not happy. Notes. No. Uh, so leave it on there. Put them on there. Close the lid and give it a you know give it a few minutes. Lift it up. You'll see once the once the turkey burger you start seeing it uh, like it looks cooked. Then flip it. Now you're going to have a nice char on the one side. You give it another few minutes. A turkey burger. I don't know. Eight minutes. Seven minutes, ten minutes, I don't know, something like that. You check it. You just, uh, you know, it's easy. Just kind of poke it. Yeah. Just kind of poke poke the meat, and then and then get take your take your sizzling meat right off the grill and uh, put it in the bun for your lady. Remarkable. <laughs> That's right. I made that dirty. It's it's that easy. It? It, it is that easy. I mean, you're not if you're doing a turkey burger. That if you're doing burgers, hot dogs, brats, that stuff is really easy. You know, and a steak. You throw a steak on, depending on how thick it is, you give it uh, six minutes on each side, mm-hmm. boom, you got a nice medium-rare steak. Well, yeah, nothing, nothing, you know, more cooked than medium-rare. Yeah. Nah, that's well, just, well, that then, should be illegal. Then, Right, of course. But some some people will make a mistake, and they, you know, they put too many coals in there, so now they've got, it, then now they've got a fire in their grill that's about 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit. You don't want to cook over that. That's too hot. You're going to burn, you're going to burn everything. But yeah, just, just trial and error, man. If you have the grill, you got to get out there and do it. I know. Well, I'm I'm ready. I've cleaned it. I cleaned it this afternoon. All right. Very nice. So uh, remember to open get... the vents. Right. You can and you can adjust that. You can adjust the vents, and that will adjust the temperature in the grill. Wow. Yeah. It's like uh, it's like you've done this before. I've done it once, one time, and that's all it took it's for just, me to become perfect. Yeah, I I did it once. It was great. I quit. Because I knew I could never top it. You peaked. That's right. So I just put everything out at the curb, and I let some people come and take it. Because I was like, I'm, I'm done. Why, why even bother? It's, it would be as if I won uh, the Memphis in May Barbecue Championship, and then I came back the next year, and I pooped the bed. This way, I leave on top. Everybody's happy. And then for the rest of my life, my wife could go, hey, remember that time you made those great steaks? I go, I do remember that. Are you ever going to make them again? Nope. nope. No. Do you see a grill out and back anymore? No. I got rid of it all. All right. Listen, it's very sad. That, uh, I'm, I'm hoping you'll try this. I want you to try, I want you to, try to, cr- to grill. I all am right. Good. Do you have, listen, guys, you're hearing this. You're hearing Tom confess to a lot of things tonight i don't know what i don't know why he's feeling so emotionally open tonight but he is he's he's told us that he doesn't like dogs he's uncomfortable around them we can't fix that but we can help him out with the grill situation now you heard i just told him how easy it was do you have any tips for tom as he goes to his weber for the first time this week 
312-981-7200. We'll take those tips. Tips for Tom. That's coming up next on WGN. The beauty of this medium is sometimes something will come up and then it spurs more conversation. That's what I like. I like hearing from you about things that we just happened to uh, fall upon as as we are doing now. We have realized that Tom, I didn't realize, Tom told us he has never grilled before. He has a grill. He's ready to go. So tips for Tom. Yeah, I gave him my my easy-to-follow grill lighting tips. But what do you have? 312-981-7200. Help Tom usher himself in to the wonderful world of grilling. Uh, and then we'll get into smoking and barbecuing and brining and all the other things. But let's start with just the simple things. Bruce wants to help us out. Hi, Bruce. Hey, Brian. How you doing, buddy? I am doing well. I, I'm, I'm worried about Tom, though, quite frankly. <laughs> uh, he'll be fine. <laughs> I think he will. He's um, a smart guy. I think he can, I think he can yeah. do this. What can, you, what can you do to help him out? Well, it's actually a funny story, and it's a good grilling tip. Um, I'm actually a Cubs fan, but me and my buddy and his family were at the Sox game tailgating, uh, uh, not this year, obviously, but last year. And uh, we had the same situation. We had a little Weber grill with some charcoal, and uh, he didn't have any lighter fluid in his truck. So trying to get it started, couldn't get it started. Uh, using cardboard, it wasn't working. So my wife comes over, and she's actually better on the grill than I am. Um, and she goes, what are you guys doing? I'm like, well, we can't get this thing started. It's driving us nuts. You know, and uh, he's like, well, we had a bag of Doritos. And I was like, yeah, that's good. All right. So <laughs> and she goes, no, morons, use the Doritos to start the start the fire. And we're like, what? What are you talking about? And she actually lit a Dorito, put it underneath the charcoal. And I swear to God, within 30 seconds, it was going. Are you kidding? So, no, it was so, the most amazing thing. And I was like, where have you been that you use yeah, this yeah. information? Right. Where does where is your, is your wife a Navy SEAL? What's going on with her? She's MacGyver. How does how does no, somebody learn that that's a I know thing? <laughs> I don't know. It was just like she's like, yeah, guys, I go camping. Uh, well, not all the time, but you know, she grew up on the South Side. But uh, I don't know. It was the funniest thing. So everyone out there, if you can't get your charcoal going, if you got no lighter fluid, uh, use a Dorito. Let, let me ask you a question, Bruce. Does it have to be a flaming hot Dorito? Good question. <laughs> or just any Dorito. <laughs> no. I never got into a flame of hot man. It hurts my tongue, but uh, I think regular is fine. Cool ranch would be work. Would work. So yeah. any dur- it's something. So, so something. <laughs> uh, this is this would be interesting to break down now with the uh, the fine people who make Doritos. What is it about their coating on these chips that make them flammable? I don't know, but it makes your fingers taste good. It you sure know? Does. I don't know. <laughs> All right. So how many? Now, did you say your wife your wife only used one? How many did you have to use, Bruce? Because I see Tom. I see this better for Tom because he's not going to singe his face off. Well, you know what was? I think you know she kind of lit one, but we kind of put you know put them uh, strategically around you know the little mound of uh, the triangle charcoal, a little pyramid we had going. Put them around, and it it worked, man. So love it. I love it, Bruce. That could be the tip of the day. Yeah. I haven't heard all of them, but that's that still could be the tip of the day. Thank you so much. All right, have a good night, buddy. Take care. You too. Wow. All right. So we know now Doritos may be able to help Tom light his grill. What other tips do you have for Tom as he begins his entree into the fine world of grilling? Now I have never heard that. I'm going to have to Google that if uh, to see if our Doritos flammable. And I'm sure the fine folks at Doritos are like, hey, uh, we don't really need to. Uh, we don't need to. Uh, investigate that do we to find out if our chips are flammable uh 
Why are chips like Doritos flammable? Uh, but they will certainly burn in a fire. There's a lot of oils and carbohydrates, and these compounds are flammable. That Now, that is according to uh, the Internet and Reddit. So, um, uh, now I'm fine. Deadspin also has it. Which foods are the most flammable? Doritos and Pirate's Booty are both covered in cheesy dust, and that cheesy dust is actually a form of powdered fat, which is both flammable and non-toxic. So this may be the thing, Tom. And I'm learning. I'm going to try this out. I got to first. I got to get a. I got to. Well, I can try it in my smoker. We got to get the charcoal. Then I'm going to get some Doritos, and I'm going to get some Pirate's Booty, and I'm going to light them both and see which gets the charcoal going faster. I wish we could do that in here. But I don't think uh, I don't think management would like it if I brought a grill in and then we did a flammable snack food experiment. So which foods? I don't know what other foods are flammable. Uh, we could probably find out. Bananas are not flammable. Pretzels kind of burn according to this, but they went out quickly. Pepper charm goldfish not flammable. Graham crackers they say graham crackers are shockingly flammable. So this is this is terrific. Write that down, Tom. Graham crackers, pirate's booty, and Doritos. Pirate's oh. booty. Pirate's booty. Is that popcorn? Oh yeah. 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 So that now you sense. don't even now you don't even need to buy lighter fluid. You can just buy snacks that you can have as a side dish for whatever you're grilling. I I love this country. I I, love <laughs> I can the fact I can buy uh, something that I can use as both a fire starter and a delicious snack. I know this is. A, I got to be honest. I'm gobsmacked by this news. I know. I can't. This Bruce, is, man, you've you've opened up our world. Bruce bringing it in, and now we're just uh, now we're confirming all of this, and it's the powdered fat that is in the cheesy dust. That's what makes it flammable. All right, Donna's got some grilling tips. Hi, Donna. Hi. Uh, the reality is, if you're first starting out, to keep it nice and simple, then you're going to get more confident and. You're going to be able to to build on that confidence to get more creative. If you start out with one or two good, thick steaks, pat them nice and dry, lots of salt and pepper, throw it on the grill, and let it rip, Um, you're absolutely right. The six minutes on a side will make it medium rare. If you do ten minutes, it'll be medium. Uh, It's going to be absolutely glorious. You don't have to make it complicated. You can add sides to it, grilled onions, grilled uh-huh. tomatoes with a little bit of feta cheese sprinkled on top. Uh, easy peasy. It's all in the preparation. You'll, you'll be standing there with grills, you know, grill marks on, on <laughs> your steaks, and, and your heart will soar because it will be... Nice and simple. You can do hot dogs, of course, but oh, yeah. there's hot no challenge nice. to yeah, that. But maybe, maybe that's what he needs right out of the blocks. What do you think, Donna? Just uh, maybe throw a hot dog on there or a brat? No, two steaks. Okay. The steak, if, I like... If you keep it nice and simple... Yeah, I like the steak ...and get idea. it perfect, then then you build on that perfection. All right. You know, doing, you know, what I, I learned... Um, well, you marinate potatoes in Italian salad dressing and throw them on, um, you know, like like big fat potato chips uh-huh. and throw them on. Um, it's all in the preparation. 
And the, once you get the steak patty dry, throw it on the grill. It's the sizzle of the steak will will and the smell That's more it. than anything else. It will hook you. You'll be back doing it every Saturday. See, Tom, it's not that bad. It's wow. Donna sounds like she's been grilling forever. Donna's the grill pro. I can I can tell like the yeah. way she. I like the way she describes everything. Donna, you should you should do a grilling show. She's making me very hungry. I'm not going to lie. You do it nice and simple, and you don't have to to go go nuts. Then you can start playing with your brats and your you know your <laughs> oh, you take your little little uh, uh, tin pan with the beer and the sautéed onions, oh. and you can play with them. Uh, you can put the grill uh, the bur- the 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 coals on one side of the grill, uh-huh. and you can put your your accoutrement that you just Ooh, want. I want keep all my warm. accoutrements. Would <laughs> you just want to keep warm on the other side of the warm grill? Warm accoutrements. Mm. What's the Donna? What's the most difficult thing that you can cook on a grill or that you've ever cooked on a grill? Duck. Duck. Yeah. Oh, well, because the duck is so fat, uh, it tends to kind of explode and, and and catch on fire so you have to do that <laughs> wow. real carefully what did sure. you how did you prep the duck uh lots of slits uh with with uh, uh, you, you take duck breast okay and you you take the skin and you slice it in in like quarters and then when you put it on the grill the you put the the duck on the side of the grill that doesn't have coals on it. So when the fat drips down below, uh, yes. it doesn't catch on fire. Okay. That's indirect cook cooking, Tom. Now, see, now you're getting... Now, Donna, you've moved into indirect cooking, and I think Tom, I think we might have lost him. we got to get back to... Go to your mantra, keep it simple. Well, that's why, you know, you, you asked me if, uh, what no, was I, the most complicated yes. thing I've ever done. Well, we like to, you know, we like to you know, we like to toss things around. Donna, thank you so much for the call. Have a great night. I appreciate it. Let's do this. Then uh, more tips for Tom. Doc is holding on. If you want to get involved, we want to hear from you. 312-981-7200. It's WGN. All right. Welcome back to Tips for Tom. <laughs> Tom is about to embark into the wonderful world of grilling, uh, and we've gotten good tips so far. Uh, Bruce had good tips. Bruce taught us that uh, Pirate's Booty and Doritos are flammable, so you don't even need lighter fluid. Donna had great tips. Start simple. She gave us. Uh, she used the word accoutrement, which I enjoyed. Uh, pat your steaks dry, and then keep it simple, and then you can play with your brats later. I think that's uh, that's what she said. And now uh, Doc wants to jump in. Hi, Doc. Hey, good morning. Uh, first thing, I'm from Kansas City, home of the best barbecuers uh, in the world. I know, uh, I know it. What's your favorite? All right, what's your favorite barbecue in Kansas City? Uh, Arthur Bryant's. Arthur Bryant's is, is yeah. That's Arthur Bryant's deal. was taught taught uh, barbecue by the guy who invented it, and now Arthur's probably been dead for 25 years. But Bill Clinton, Jimmy Carter, or most presidents have eaten there. Yeah, it's a it's always packed that place. Oh yeah. And yeah. for good reason. Uh, I asked Tom if he had a chimney starter, and he was told he was sold a chimney starter. Okay. The advantage of that is you never buy charcoal fluid. Just Correct. put newspaper under the bottom, it drafts through it. Plus, if you're cooking something that you're going to have to reapply charcoal, uh, you would never want to add unlit charcoal. Right. Plus, the, the fluid could affect the taste. Okay. But here's a tip. Now, if you got a book, I suggest reading the book. Weber makes some outstanding recipe books. 
I mean, they put out one or two a year. Yeah. But here's a tip that very few people know. On a Weber kettle, you have a leg and two wheels. If you put the leg the direction the wind is blowing from and the wheels the opposite direction, and then when you put the lid on, you put the, the side with the holes on the direction the wind is blowing to, that is the perfect draft for the food, plus you'll never have smoke in your face. Wow, I had never that? heard that. That is a that is a very good tip. So the leg in, the leg points into the wind, and then the vents point to the other point to the other on side. the opposite side. Yep, wow. and it'll always take the smoke away from your face. And Tom doesn't want smoke in his face. No, that's that's why and he's the, avoided grilling. The previous up to this call, uh, caller mentioned indirect and direct cooking. Mm-hmm. Direct is coals right under the food, like right. a steak or a burger. Indirect. Now, Weber makes what they call charcoal rails that you can hook into the bottom of the grill to hold the coals. But you don't have to do that. Just dump the coals in and put half of them on one side out of the edge, half of them on the other. And, oh, everybody's had burnt chicken that's raw inside. Mm -hmm. Something like wings, you put them in the center, uh, the coals on the outside, probably about 25 minutes each side. And then if they're not as crisp as you like, then put them right above the coals and get them crisp right toward the end. But the other night I cooked some burgers. I'll do burgers indirect. Will you I'll really? put them over the center and cook them about 15 minutes each side. And any any fruit wood is good for uh, smoking. Right. But uh, apple is good with all pork products. Cherry is good with all beef products. Now, what did you? There's grapes, uh, sassafras, you know, pecan, all I, kinds of fruit woods. I got to go back to your indirect burgers, Doc. So, do you you don't get a sear on them? Nope, nope. You can toward the end if you want, but I mean, oh. I tell you something like uh, you put them, you use some cherry wood on them. Yeah, they're going to get like if you cut a brisket that's got really good color and what they call the ring oh, yeah. around the edge, the burgers will will acquire that. Huh. And a great and a great taste. All right. Well, I'm going to have to try that. I've never. I've only done burgers over direct heat. And you know, my best friend uh, takes me to several Chiefs games a year. And one of the crowd pleasers is I make shrimp scampi, Ooh. and I will make uh, like a little, just a, a a short aluminum foil pan, peel the shrimp, arrange them in rows, put melted butter on them, and I just use. Uh, salt, smoked paprika, and a little garlic salt, okay. and then just uh, let those heat up, usually about 10 or 15 minutes. And usually it's deep enough to get them down on both sides, but then I'll stir them. Yeah. And then just toothpicks, toothpick them out. They're outstanding. And if you're a nut that likes, you know, like those little tubs of spreadable cheese, yeah. I might make two trays of them and pour the butter from one end to the other one and then spoon in a bunch of that cheese to melt around the other ones. Oh, my God. Which right. some people like them that way. I am, uh, I'm not going to make it through the next hour because now I am starving. First it was Don and now it is Doc. Uh, Doc, th- I, I, uh, I cook year-round. I mean, you just need, need more wood, you know, if, it, yeah, if it's super cold outside. Well, Plus, I've got uh, two grills. A smoker with the big smoke box down below, okay. and I also have a separate uh, charcoal pizza oven, which Ooh. is uh, was sold by Menards, and it was like three hundred fifty bucks. They had them on sale for one hundred seventy five, and I go, I got one. How's it work? And I've taken it to the Chiefs game too. Wow, 
You, all right, we got to go. We got to be uh, more friendlier with Doc. Doc, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Now you've made me very hungry, and I don't know if I'm going to survive the rest of the night. But I appreciate. Okay. It. Happy grilling, Tom. Thank you. Take oh, take nice. care. Yeah. See, Tom, there's a lot going on. Uh, Chris is near Midway. He wants to jump in. He's got some tips for Tom. Hi, Chris. Hey, Brian. How are you? I am well, thanks. I haven't talked to you in a while. Last time I talked to you, we talked about the uh, cranberries. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, the, the with the I, I'm trying to remember the uh, it was the cranberry was it putting in them in some sort juice. of adding yes orange juice right to the cranberries yep. yes all right. Um, the way I learned to barbecue was real easy. I got a stove top grill. Oh, and you can control the heat a lot more. It's a lot more tame. You know, on a, when you're learning the first time, you start burning your food. You get kind of discouraged, like oh, yeah, I can't do this. But if you learn on a stovetop grill where it's all contained and you control the heat and everything, it's easy. Huh. Tom, are you, are you uh, nervous? Are you intimidated by the flames? Uh, uh, not, so, not so much. I just want to make sure I actually make good food. Because, you know, listen, being a guy with other guys, they've got they've got smokers. Mm-hmm. They're doing 10-hour cooked beans and stuff like that. Like, yeah. you know, all this kind of crazy stuff. I feel like a complete idiot. And I have to figure this out because if I am not able to grill, what's the point of even living? Well, that's a good Once question. Once you learn it, though, you're, you're going to be so surprised, Tom. Is it? Is you, it? Would you say it's easier than it seems? But there's still. I mean, obviously, there's a learning curve. There's yes, always going to be a yes. learning curve. But yeah, it's, it's easier a lot than easier than like your. Uh, when I was scared of like flare ups, or I would cook the outside and the inside wouldn't be done. Mm. You know, so a good thermometer is a good idea while you're starting. That's, oh, yep. that's a good point. Meat thermometer. But, uh, Sometimes you just move things around the grill. If you find uh, if there's a spot that's really hot, you just kind of move it around. Oh, so what? When you were Chris, when you were starting with this stovetop grill, and I, I've seen those, I've never used one. What kind of things would you would you cook at the beginning? Uh, I did burgers, uh, brats. Then I moved on to uh, steaks. Okay. Uh, I did a pork tenderloin. Wow. Um, it's just, yeah. And, and then, then once you when get on did the grill, you decide, like, yeah, when did you decide to make the jump? Were you went, all right, I've done, I've done enough things on the, uh, stovetop. What was the, what was the final stovetop where you went, all right, this is good. Now I can move to the charcoal. Uh, it was about a year ago. I, I took the winter, learned it on the, on the stovetop. And then when spring came, went out, bought one and then just went at it. All right. Well, that's good tips. Uh, maybe Tom, maybe Tom will take that suggestion. He doesn't listen to me, Chris. Maybe he'll listen to you. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so too, man. Thanks for the call. Good to talk to you. Great show, man. Thanks. Bye. Take care. Bye. bye It's uh, now. I had never. I had never heard of that. The stovetop grill thing. So maybe this is. Maybe this is the way you have to go. But it's something. Uh, there's a pleasure in it, and I get. I get Tom's point that you want to. You want to make good food. You want to. But like anything. We're not really good at it when we start. You have to do something enough times to then get good at it. You know, because if it, if we were experts at everything right away, well, one, we wouldn't need to go to restaurants because we could make all that food at home. So don't be afraid of don't be afraid of uh, screwing things up at first because you're going to screw things up at first. They're, I wh- usually do. Welcome yeah. to the world. Everybody does. There's not you know I've had. Uh, Stuff that was burning, it's like, oh, man. And I was so excited. Oh, man, I got these good steaks. And then, oh, I left them out like a minute too long. Mm-hmm. And that was it. They were, they, might as well throw them into the garbage. I didn't. I ate them. And I, oh, the whole, yeah. t- whole time I ate them, I was like, oh, screw this up. Well, did it at least taste kind of okay? Yeah, it was. Yeah, there's always, it's always fine. You know. And I, even if, like now, uh, now I have the gas grill. And so 
like every once in a while, if we want a hot dog, instead of cooking it, you know, in a pan or uh, doing it on the stove, right. I would rather grill it. Yeah, everything, that, everything is better cooked outside. That's where I'm at with this. I've been, you know, I did, I, I didn't have a grill because. You know, my first apartment up in Rogers Park, there was nowhere to put a grill. Right. You know, it's like just kind of back steps. There's nowhere to put a grill. Yeah. And then finally, I, you know, I got my condo and I was like, oh, wow, there's an area back here. I can there actually do some grilling. It's possible. Finally got a grill. Only yeah. cost me $25 for this used grill. Nice. And I, I just have been putting it off. I've been putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. And finally, I said to myself, no. 2020 is the year of the grill. The year of the grill. This I'm, is perfect. Where I'm else stuck do you at have home. to be? Yeah, I'm stuck at home anyway. I might as well finally tune my crafting abilities, my grilling abilities, so that when I do have people come over, they're going to be like, wow, man, he's been grilling for years, right? That's right. Wrong. And you can, you'll find simple things, simple recipes that you almost can't screw up. There's, there's certain stuff that it's like, and I, you know, trial and error, you're going you're gonna to try something and it's going to mess up and you go, all right, where... Where did I go wrong? What happened here? Mm. And I, I'm that way. I'm intimidated a little bit still by the smoker because I've done ribs, I've done sausages, wings, things like that, pork tenderloin. Mm-hmm. But I want to do a brisket, and that's a that's a big <sighs> that's undertaking. A tall order. And so you know, I've got I've got the the probe temperature thing, the the thermometer, all. But I want it to be great. Well, it's probably not going to be great the first time I do it. It's no. probably going to be awful. You got to make that jump, Tom. Mark my words. I'm going to issue a a proclamation. Hold on. A proclamation of grilling. Yes. A year from today, June 3rd, 2020. So a year from today in 2021. In 2021, I'm going to grill you a duck. A duck? I'm going to grill you a duck. All right. Now you got to call Donna back. You got to fat (laughs) side with the thing. You're going to offset. But. I can't promise it's not going to be the best duck you ever had. It might not even be the second best duck you ever had. I it might be the only no. I was going to say it might be the only <laughs> duck I've ever had, but I'm sure, I, I think I've had duck before. But I will grill you a duck. And are you going to you. catch it and prepare it and then grill it? Well, I have to call Charlie over on the Great Outdoors. He'll have to teach me how to go duck hunting. Uh, yes, first you got to <laughs> if if I could get if I could get you a duck far you know like air, sky to table. That would be I, great. I, it doesn't matter how good it was on the grill. That's you're gonna no. have to appreciate that. If you kill it, clean it, and cook it for me, it's a hundred percent kudos. There's absolutely no question about that. You're you are the full service food provider. You've done it all. You've snatched it from the heavens and laid it on my plate. And that's all that's all anyone can ask for when it comes to eating. Uh, we've got so many things to talk about and only one final hour to do it. So on the other side of the news, this uh, this I wanted to talk about because it's uh, there a piece of clothing has been named the most iconic fashion statement ever. What is it? Do you agree? We'll get into all of that on the other side of the news, which comes your way right after this. That's it. We go from uh, talking about grilling outdoors to the Beach Boys. It's a very, uh, very summery transition. I like that. This is the Beach Boys, isn't it? Of course it is. It is. Of course. You're, you were giving me that look. See, your, your looks make me sometimes uneasy. Because they you're, usually you're, do. For you're most staring people. at me like, dude, this is not the Beach Boys. And I know it's the Beach Boys, but, and yet I second-guessed myself. I don't know why. I shouldn't even look at you. Uh, listen, we were giving Tom barbecue tips, and you you are welcome to continue doing that because I like talking to you more than I like talking to myself. So 312-981-7200 is how you get involved all morning, and by all morning, I mean for the next uh, 52 minutes until we get out of here. 
But uh, now, so you can call in with the barbecue tips. We're also very excited. Today is the day Chicago is reopening, right? Partially. We'll see. Uh, the mayor has said if you don't, if the businesses, some businesses might still be afraid to open because of all that's been going on the last few days, uh, that's okay. But uh, you know, now the weather's supposed to be, I think it's supposed to rain later today. But by this weekend, it'll be nice. You can go to a restaurant and eat outside if they have uh, outdoor space. We'll see. So it's very, very exciting. And the other exciting thing is that we now know what is the most iconic fashion statement of all times, according to a British survey, which is going to lead me to ask you, what do you believe is the best piece of clothing that has ever been created? Something that you could not live without when it came out, or maybe you still wear it. Maybe it's one of those timeless pieces. But according to a uh, survey from Great Britain, now we know they, uh, you know, maybe they have different fashion sense than you and I, but I don't think so. They said that the miniskirt is the most iconic fashion statement of all time. I'll be honest, I'm a fan of the miniskirt. Perhaps you are too. Uh, but that is the that is the number one. That is the top of the list. Now they asked two thousand residents of Great Britain. Uh, so the miniskirt is the most iconic fashion statement of all time. What do you think was the next one? Following very closely, and this is something, again, I don't think there is a woman alive that does not have this in her closet. She, Ladies, I'm sure you break these out on numerous occasions. The little black dress. That's right. So it's the miniskirt followed by the little black dress. Now, I... I remember when in this, you know, when I was a, a little kid and the miniskirts were very popular. Everybody was wearing the miniskirts. And I think I think guys like them. I don't know ladies, did you like do you like the miniskirt? Is it something that I that is a, a young a young lady's game? I don't know. I don't know is there a, is there an age difference? So little black dress, hot pants, Denim jackets and platform shoes. That's the that's the top. Rounding out the top ten for most iconic fashion items of all, flared pants, bell bottoms. Did you ever wear bell bottoms, Tom? That was before your time. Yeah, by about I don't know thirty years. Thirty years, but no, they've come back in time. I remember uh, this. They used to make. This is when I was in grade school or maybe first in high school. Uh, Levi's made not just bell bottoms, but the big bell. So the pant, you know, the leg would come down, and then the mm. bell bottom was so wide <laughs> at the bottom, and they would slap up against each other, just the bottom of your pants. The rest of the pants fit you regular until they got to the bottom, and then the bell went. It had to be, what's that? About a foot, twelve inches, something like that. That's about how <laughs> wide the big, the Levi's big bells were, and they were. They were not. Uh, they were not pre-washed and soft. So when you first got them, they oh, you were, had to break them in. You had to break them in. But you're breaking in, like sails. Like, like it would be as if your calves and ankles were the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. This is how wide the bell bottoms were. It was insanity. But every oh, you had to have the big bells. You couldn't just wear bell bottoms or flares. Flares yeah, were for your big... dad. Your dad wore flare pants. Ooh. Yeah. 
You had to have the bell bottoms. Well, let me like ask a you dirty this, hippie. Let me ask you this, Brian. Did you ever consider yourself part of any sort of uh, fashion trend? Did you ever go hippie? Did you ever go? No, not, I wouldn't call um, you goth. No, I don't I, think I've you did. I've always that. been goth. Um, <laughs> there was a period in college where uh, I guess the preppy look kind of took over, where it was the polo, sh- uh, the short sleeve polo shirts, and the boat shoes. Right. Uh, so I wore the boat shoes. Well, I mean, boat shoes are just a classic look. Right. And I like, and mostly I liked them because I didn't have to wear socks. Mm. So that was it. And uh, But I never I never draped the pastel sweater around my shoulders and tied it in a knot. You didn't flip up the collar? I don't believe I ever flipped up the collar because it bothered me. It just... It, 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 it doesn't like feel good rubber, on the neck. It doesn't feel good on the neck. It looks stupid. I'm not uh, studying karate at the Cobra Kai. Mm-hmm. So I didn't need uh, I didn't need the sensei to say it was all right for me to wear my shirt that way. Uh, any idea what that was? What Karate Kid? Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> wow, you couldn't have given me less of a reaction. There's absolutely well, yeah. nothing. I'm, I'm now I'm just testing absolutely you. Nothing. Now I'm just testing you. So, uh, but no, I don't think I'm. Uh, my fashion is almost like my haircut. Uh, I found one look. And I've stuck with I've stuck with it for decades. I always my aesthetic, um, unless I'm putting on a suit, then I you know more of a classic look with the suit, uh, but nice bow tie, hand tied, not uh, not pre tied. Tie Fair. yourself. Ooh, look you, at you. Yeah. Come on, a gentleman ties his own tie. That is tie. true. You know he, that is true. He grills his own meat. He ties his own tie. <laughs> There's uh, two things. I don't have. I've a, got half of that. I don't have a lot of things where I go. You know, this is a, this is a, a thing that a guy should know because I. You know, there's things. There's things I know that other guys don't. And there's things other guys know that I don't. I don't mm-hmm. think there's any universals uh, except for that. A guy should know how to tie a tie. Maybe not a bow tie because a bow tie is a bow tie is an acquired taste well, and a and unique it's, look. It's very rare that you would need to wear a bow tie. Unless that's the only unless kind of tie the, you wear. Unless you're, what's his name? The, ba- the baseball. Is it Ken Rosenthal? I was going to go yeah. with Fahey Flynn. Yeah, there you go. Then, <laughs> the old Chicago uh, yeah. uh, news anchor. But uh, yeah, so, but I tend to dress um, for the most part like I'm on vacation. I enjoy either like uh, Hawaiian shirts or a, a shirt of that no, style. I was going to say that. What's your take on Tommy Bahama? I'm all I'm big Bahama. Not not so much. Well, I like the overly flowered ones. I also like just the subdued. I like that style more than the the print. I like I do like print shirts, but I also like the solid ones. Just that camp shirt style. Yeah, untucked, some nice uh, linen pants, uh, perhaps a uh, leather uh, leather slip on with no socks. That's- Could easily fill up with oxygen in case you were in a pool and started drowning. No, it doesn't have to be ultra baggy. I'm not. Okay. Uh, but B- Bill, I'm, I'm not the guy from uh, It's Always Sunny who had to, <laughs> you know, who wore these giant shirts so he could keep expanding. I just, uh, I like the, I like that vibe. I B- like that, built for that, comfort, not for speed. Uh it depends what I'm doing. Fair enough. Sometimes I'm very fast. <laughs> All right, what is your? fashion look what is the piece if you you've heard this look this list do you have a a piece of clothing that you've kept that this is your look and you're sticking with it and is there as you heard me read off these list of the most iconic fashion statements is there a piece of fashion that you are so happy to see gone 
that you will not shed one tear if it never comes back, because everything is cyclical. But you don't care if you ever see this again. 312-981-7200. I want to hear from you on WGN. Oh, my goodness. We're talking about iconic fashion statements. The miniskirt was voted in this survey the most iconic fashion statement of all time, according to people in Britain, followed closely by the little black dress, hot pants, denim jackets, and platform shoes. Uh, I'm wondering from you, is there a piece of clothing that you have found and you thought, no matter what, you're sticking with this? This This is your look. You're going to live and die by that look. Uh, no matter what, come hell or high water, this is your this is your style, uh, and and a style that you're glad has gone, and you will not miss it if it never comes back. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. I want to hear from you. Steve is in Indiana. Hi, Steve. Yeah, I just turned the radio on, and you had just mentioned all three of those, three or four of those things that you were. I didn't know what you guys were talking about, you know. <laughs> so you mentioned you mentioned the mini skirt and all that stuff. I graduated in 1977 high school. Okay, okay. and so I've seen pictures of my wife from that era, you know, and uh, and then I I just recently retired, so I, I get a chance to watch a little bit more television now. And uh, I like to watch Match Game. Remember that show with yes. Gene Rayburn? Sure. And, and that was around that era, you know, because my, my mom used to watch that show all the time. So, of course, I had to watch it. You know, uh-huh. we only had one TV. And I was a channel changer, you know. So. Oh, sure. You're the remote. You were the human right, remote exactly. control. Right. But I really like that, that high-waisted, you know, pants, jean look, you know, that the ladies used to wear back in the day. Yeah, the real, yeah, the high ones. Yeah, it'd start, you know, around her, the, the, the waist of, the, of the, the jeans or the pants would start, like, around her belly button or maybe even <laughs> higher. Like, yeah. You know, it was just a nice, nice look, you know. Well, those actually so came that, in Those yeah. actually came in number 21 on the list of most iconic, the high-waisted jeans. Yeah, that I, was... That was a good look. That was your thing. So you you were were you well, excited? You know, it wasn't I, my fashion statement. But well, no, I like listen. I yeah. like to see it on the ladies. You yes. like to see it? I didn't uh, listen, Steve. I wasn't saying you put on the ladies' high waisted pants. And if you did, there's nothing wrong with that. That's up to you. Well, I, I probably look would look pretty good back in those days too. You know, uh, probably. What were you wearing in '77? Oh, just the jeans. You know, I remember what you were talking about the. The big bell bottoms. They used to call them elephant elephant bells. Elephant bells. bells. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Elephant bell bottoms. And then you would go and you you'd find some patches to put on there. Yeah. Actually, my my parents were fairly poor, so I just uh, you know I I didn't I had patches naturally. Yes. You know? Oh no. I yeah. I, there's a point where you're like, well, these kind of wore out at the knee, or I, I ripped them a little. Yeah. You go. You'd go and you'd get either the the iron-on patch. You know, right, right, you'd get right, a package right. of them at Ben Franklin. You'd iron the patch on there, or you know, if it was a rip, you know, my mom had the sewing machine, and then she could you know, put the patch on exactly. there and throw some stitches on there. Oh yeah, you got yeah, you got to get some more use out of those jeans. Yeah, that was out of necessity. It wasn't out of fashion. You know what I mean? Right, but then it looked like it looked like you were you know cool because now you oh, had yeah, these now, jeans. Now it's all cool, you know, and you sure. buy them like that. You know, the, the kids these days. <laughs> Those darn kids, Steve. I can't believe it. <laughs> Thanks for the call, man. All right. Take care. I now I don't like to I Steve joked about those kids doing that. That's one mm-hmm. thing I still don't understand. 
And I try... What, listen. kids or saying kids these days? No, no, no. Buying jeans that are all ripped up. Mm. I don't I don't get it. I don't... Uh, there, there's some things that... like uh, I'm not one of these guys, these get-off-my-lawn guys, or kids, are uh, they're so weird, whatever. But that just doesn't make sense to me. Because you're paying a jeans. ton of money mm. for something that, if you wear it long enough, you're probably going to wear your jeans out anyway. So... Why are you buying stuff that's all ripped up? And this has been going. This I thought that was a trend that was going to die pretty quickly, but it didn't. Yeah, it stayed around. You know, and, and it, maybe they're they're worn out on the thigh. That that's something. You know, nobody had worn out thighs of their jeans unless you were a cowboy and you were used <laughs> to lifting calves and they were rubbing on your pants all the time. Those well, are the only people whose thighs were yeah. rubbed out of their jeans. Let me let me throw this out. All I think right. here's a theory. Here's a theory. I think it's because clothes have become a little bit more disposable in the sense that they're the build quality the, the price has True. gone down, but the build quality might not be there. So if you had a pair of Levi's, say in the seventies. They lasted. They lasted forever. Mm-hmm. You could patch them up. Even yes. if they got eventually, you know, if things rip, but you right. could patch them up. They were sturdy enough. Yeah. Uh like this, this shirt I'm wearing, this this denim shirt. This is my dad's denim shirt. Very nice, high, high quality item. High, high quality Levi's. There's there's some tears in them and stuff, but my I I wore it to my grandma's house. She's like, that's a great shirt, and it only gets better with age. Yeah, it looks better. It looks really worn out, actually worn out. But now that things are a little bit more disposable, we go through stuff a little bit quicker. We need that. We want that look. We want the distressed look. We want the ripped look, but we want it now. We don't want to have to wait 10, 15 years down the road for well, it to actually look distressed. Sure, it's that immediacy. We we all have a need for immediacy. Everybody's in everybody's in a hurry, like you said. That's a that's a sound theory. You've put some thought into it. I enjoy it. I was just going to go with everybody loved the pour some sugar on me video uh, <laughs> from Def Leppard, and that's why they decided. That's yeah, why sure. they decided ripped. See, this is where we come at things from a different uh, different angle, Tom. But look at this okay. marketplace of ideas that yes. we're creating right in front of everybody. <laughs> Who is whose theory holds more water? Tom saying society is a instant gratitude society, or me saying, oh, yeah, some uh, some music video from, I don't know when Pour Some Sugar on Me came out, but it was a long time ago, uh, and maybe that was what, because that was the first time I saw somebody with all, you know, rock stars would wear the, uh, the So it was like 87. Stuff. 87. Yeah. Yeah, see? He had uh, the checkup dancing on the hood of the, uh, the Jaguar. No, oh, that was White Snake. Oh no, that was that White was, Snake. Uh, yeah. That was is it uh oh. Here I go again. Here I go again. I yeah. was going to say is it love, but uh, that was that's, another one. That's Van Hagar. Right. So, yes, Tawny Catan. Tawny Catan. Where's she? Uh I don't think she fared well over the uh, over the years. I know she was married to a baseball player. There were some uh rumors of uh allegations of domestic abuse. Uh, some drug issue, alleged drug issues. So Tawny, I don't think his, uh, Tawny was one of those celebrities of the moment. Truly. You know, it's it's almost like there's other, there's other celebrities you could think of who were, who burned white hot for a very short amount of time. Like, remember when Carmen Electra was everywhere? Yeah. No, she was just Carmen appearing Carmen Electra was, yeah, she was everywhere. She was a movies, TV, and then, whew, well, I will say Tawny Catan did have a, a good run on the new WKRP in Cincinnati from 1991 to 1993. Really? 
Yeah. I didn't even know that was a thing. Well, it exists. Did she put, She must have played the Lonnie Anderson part. Yeah, she was the nighttime DJ, Mona Loveland. Oh, then that's, no, that's, that was Venus Flytrap back in the day. He mm. was the nighttime DJ. Well, she was in there with uh, such... <laughs> yeah, who else Who else was in this cast? This sounds yeah. like a stellar Emmy uh, Award. How was this show snubbed? Well, you've got Gordon Jump. He's he's still in that. Right. Uh, Richard Sanders, Frank Bonner, and French Stewart. Oh, my God. So French ugh. Stewart, another guy who was big uh, during Third Rock from the Sun, and then kind of went away. Or fell off my radar. I don't know where... Fr- so, basically, they got rid of all the... The radio, just just like in the real business, they fired all the management stayed, and they fired all the on-air talent at the original WKRP, and they brought in a new air staff for the uh, the all-new WKRP. Well, I will say this: Lonnie Anderson, Tim Reed, and uh, Howard, Howard Hasman made made some made some appearances. Oh, did they? Yeah, Edie McClurg showed up. What did Edie McClurg play? Wait, Lucille? she wasn't in the original one, was she? No, no. Edie McClure. Uh, she was, was not a recur- She was a recurring player. She showed up sometimes. She wasn't like a regular on cast WKRP member. in Cincinnati. I the think original so. one? Yeah, the original one. I think she showed up at least a couple of times. You're thinking of Ferris Bueller? No, I'm not thinking of Ferris Bueller. <laughs> Try me. <laughs> not thinking of Ferris. She was in Ferris Bueller. She was in Ferris. I Bueller. I know but she was in Ferris Bueller. That's why I said it. All right, Edie. Wow. So that was that. Tawny's big. Uh, other than other than the White Snake videos, was that Tawny's big claim to fame? The new WKRP? I guess so. I, and really, is that a claim to fame? How was big a, was the new K, KRP? No, not had, big at all. Not big at all. Only lasted it didn't have, two years. Didn't have Bailey Quarters in it. That's why. You know, everybody. Lot of that. That goes to the old uh, Ginger Marianne argument. Were you a Were you a uh, Lonnie Anderson or uh, and I forget it, even I, Jennifer I think was her name her character's name on that show Were you Jennifer or Bailey, mm. just like you were Ginger or Marianne? You know, there now to, to taking it back to Steve's call about the high waisted pants, uh, the guy who played Andy, the program director at WKRP, he always wore very high waisted pants, very high waisted pants, but that was the style. And he always wore cowboy shirts like you got on there. Hey, kind it's of a, an effortless, it effortless is, style. It's an effortless look. That's what I'm... See, you asked me about my look. Effortless. That's yeah, not, truly. No, today is definitely... <laughs> today is no effort. Um, but if, you know, the the classic style. This is What, what am I going to dress up for you? It's you and me in the building. I was kind of hoping, you know. What do you want me to wear? Do you want me to wear a tux tomorrow? No, I, I'd, settle for, I'd settle for a nice polo. Really? I'd settle for a nice polo, maybe some pleated... Jeans, pleated. You, got, you still got just, pleated jeans? I never had pleated jeans. Never. I had pleated. Never. Pa- jeans? No. Okay. No. Pleated pants? Sure. Ple- uh, like a pleated khaki? Yeah, I'll I, settle for a pleated khaki. All right. I don't have pleated khakis anymore because it's nineteen, not nineteen eighty six. Really? You're not you don't like the pleats? No, not anymore. Pleats are out, baby. Can we get pleats Flat to come fronts- back? I'm going to bring them back. I'm Why bring would you back want pleats. to bring pleats back? I don't know. I find them flattering. Do you? They're fine when you're standing up, but then you sit down and you have an abundance of fabric in the front that poofs up, and then you're, you know, you got a volcano in your region. A fabric volcano right there up front. <laughs> yeah. Not fair enough. It's a whole big thing. And then you, you, you walk by a guy, you, you just pop it. 
See if it's see if it's really just the pants. You popped them up. <laughs> Is it really just the pants? It could be. <laughs> it's Brian Noonan in for Nick D. We're here until uh, four o'clock, and then the WGN Morning News comes on, followed by Bob Surratt at five. We're talking about fashion. The uh, Miniskirt was named the most iconic fashion statement of all time in a British survey. Talking to you about fashion that you love, that you, you keep wearing no matter how old you are because this is this is your look. But mostly I like to hear from people who uh, have something that you just, you're so glad. You wore it, but you were so glad to see it go. 312-981-7200. Always more fun when you are involved. Big Ed wants to jump in. Big Ed, how are you? Holy smoke, Brian's back. <laughs> yes, sirree. Hey, Brian, you remember, uh, well, before I get to my fashion statement, are you going to radio anywhere else? Uh, occasionally. You never know where I'll pop up at. So you're just doing, like, mostly fill-in? Yes. Okay, I was looking for you up there in Milwaukee. I could never find you, so I don't know. I like your stuff. Well, hey, are you, you. going to be bringing back the uh, overnight arcade friday morning at two we will do the overnight arcade excellent yes sir do you remember beetle boots um i never had any but i do remember i do remember the uh the phenomenon of the beetle boot the or or the chelsea boot as they like to call it in the fashion world they were like suede and they zipped up the back Mm Hmm. yeah i had a pair of those they were cool now what uh, did did you go with black? What color were your uh, were your boots? Oh, black! Yeah, they were black. I was in eighth grade with my <laughs> blue and white polka dot shirt. <laughs> were you the envy all... of all your friends with your beetle boots, Big Ed? I was. Uh, they, I were so jealous that one day they stole them out of my locker. Get out! Nope. they took them out of my locker and hid them. And I came back and I was like, "Where's my shoes? What's going on here?" They thought it was a big joke. So did you uh, did you exact your revenge on them? Nah, I'm not that petty. <laughs> no, okay. Well, that's yeah. very that's very biggie, Ed. That's uh, to hey, let to let Brian, that kind I of thing go. I want to run something by you, okay? Yes, sir. Speaking of fashion statements, brother, you've got to get yourself some new glass frames. Those frames you wear in the pictures I see you, and they make you look so old. The what? Oh, with the the ones I'm wearing now, I guess. I don't know. You always have them on when I see your picture. I'm trying to. Well, it's, they're probably the ones. It, it depends. Yeah, I, I mean, I wear the same ones. They're kind of clear on the bottom and dark on the top. Yeah. You don't like those? No. You need to get Molly and go to a glass she eyeglass picked, store. She picked these out. Or she she no, approved of these when me. I got them. No. Yes. No. Well, yes. you got to find somebody else. What do you What do you want me to wear? The big cat eyes, Ed? All right. Well, Something. listen. I'll 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 take it under consideration. How about that? They bring too much attention to your face. <laughs> are you, are you saying thing. Are you saying this is a face that should not be paid attention to? Pretty much so. Yes. Wow. Ouch. Coming in. Okay. Coming in. Coming in hot, Ed. <laughs> take care, buddy. You too. Bye bye. Wow. Tom, I get, put a big head on the 86 list. You got to get, man, oh, man. Oh, boy. All right, well, listen, I'll, I'll take it under advisement. I like these glasses. Molly actually, Molly actually approved of them when I got them. 
Suddenly, Ed's a fashion critic. Mr. Blackwell calling in. That was a little, uh, you know, now I'm, uh, eh, I don't care. Uh, <laughs> Mark, what's going on? Well, uh, for men, I would say the wide necktie. And that would that would be either a printed necktie on a plain shirt or a plain necktie on a printed shirt. Oh, that's... But, but it's the wide necktie. Yes. The and one, long. The and one long. that almost looks like a bib. No, that's too wide. But <laughs> the... Uh, and for women, the very wholesome, sweet and innocent, sleeveless, Blouse or sleeveless dress, not not halter, not strapless, just sleeveless, because okay. there's a there's a delectable ambiguity about it. It can be sexy in some contexts, or it can be very sweet and innocent and endearing in other contexts. So this is these are the fashion items you like. So you like you like the wide necktie. Yes, I yeah okay. I like the wide necktie. Ah, yeah. Okay. All right. I I thought you were going the other way with it. So and I didn't. The... And I didn't hate. I didn't hate the leisure suit, but I have to admit it kind of looks hokey. It does look a little hokey. Did you ever wear the Kiana shirt underneath it with the uh, so the the shirt and the suit with both the cuffs rolled up? No, not that I recall. Right. That was that was a big look. You have like the gauzy shirt or the silky shirt underneath the uh, the leisure suit. Would you have but a powder, I, uh, you have a I had pretty one? well. I still do have pretty thick hair, but I looked uh, kind of uh, uh, you know. I, I I mean, I didn't I, I didn't look like I was on my way to balding. I was uh, Say, I was around twenty Say, in nineteen seventy eight. So snack, I, did, I didn't look too bad in a leisure suit, there you but go. I don't I don't think I'd wear one now. All right. Well, listen. It's it's good that you have that the the memory of when you were you know when you were strutting around town <laughs> looking hot in your leisure suit, and maybe you'll get. <laughs> what was the term? It was. Uh, how did you describe the sleeveless dress? Ambiguously, um, uh, delectably uh, ambiguous. De- delectably ambiguous. It, it, <laughs> because it can be depending on the context, it can be sexy or it can just be sweet and innocent. Wow. All right. Well, Mark, you have uh, you have given us something to think on, and of course, uh, Michelle Obama got made fun of endlessly for her arms in the press. <laughs> that was a mistake. Those were those were some fine arms. They probably still are. I haven't seen them in a while, but those are those are yeah. some good. I oh, think... even I mean, even my mother, who doesn't usually make such comments, said that she had nice arms. Yes, she did. A nice. Tone. I recommend. I recommend reading her memoir. It's a good read, even if you don't agree with her politics. Is it uh, delectably ambiguous? <laughs> oh, I'd say in several spots. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Mark. Thank you for the call. I've. Uh, I was getting. Uh, I enjoyed uh, Mark's description, and then it started making me a tad bit uncomfortable. I'm not going to lie to you. Well, you know, it depends on what you're using it to describe. I don't know, but there was something about it. I I, like, I couldn't put my finger finger on it. It made it made perfect sense. Everything Mark said made perfect sense. And then the more he said it, the more I was like, "Which way is this going?" You know, I, I couldn't I I'll, couldn't figure it out. <laughs> well, I, I think it's got it's got its uses. Like when you open the fridge and you see yes. the leftovers that have been in there for maybe a little bit too long, but the food seems all right. It's delectably ambiguous. Hmm. I well, I don't know if I would. I, that's I don't how know I if would. That's either. a description I would I would put it toward. 
And I don't know if I'm comfortable <laughs> trying to figure out what I would put it toward, I, to be quite honest with you. there's <laughs> Some things are probably better left unsaid. Uh, but... I'm glad Mark said them, but now we will let them. We'll let them be. But I have to. I have to disagree. I thought when he was talking about the wide neckties, uh, he was saying that they were bad, which I would agree with. But he liked them. Do you remember? You probably never saw the, the wide. They would be. Four, sometimes they get yeah. up to like four inches, five inches. There were there were a couple of times when, especially as a young man, I didn't really have the professional wardrobe thing going on. Sure, you know, when you're unlike when, now, where you look like you could walk into IBM. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Thanks, buddy. You've already mocked my wardrobe, but you know, <laughs> fair pay, enough. Payback is a you know is a you know what. Uh, but you know when you're 14 or 15 and you got to dr- get dressed up a little bit to maybe go to the dance. Sure, you got to go to a uh, nicer family function yeah, yeah, yeah. so you raid your dad's wardrobe for the stuff that you don't have right you know so there were a couple times i think when i was maybe 15 that i have to wear some of my dad's old ties and he, he had this penchant for really bizarre ties oh really yeah like the dilbert tie you know every <laughs> every guy that my dad worked in it so naturally he worshipped stuff like dilbert sure you gotta have the dilbert tie you gotta have the dilbert tie he had a he had a snoopy and and woodstock tie yeah you gotta Why? have a, a couple santa ties at christmas sure. time I'm sure you have those uh i enjoyed as a young man an occasional novelty tie but what, what was that was that about just like I don't know. To show the man that he couldn't, he might, you might have to wear a tie because the man is telling you to, but you didn't have to wear a boring old man tie. You could, that was, your tie was your statement. Because to be honest, uh, I used to sell uh, men's furnishings, shirts and ties at Marshall Fields back in the day. Uh, And really for a guy, when they're dressing up, the tie is where you make your statement. Because men's suits other than lapel width and the pleats and the pants and stuff, men's suits have pretty much stayed the same. Mm-hmm. But a tie is where you can really stand out. So you could take the same suit and put a, a conservative, more conservative color or pattern shirt and tie and wear it to the office during the day. That same suit, you switch your tie out, bang, you're out at night. Hello, ladies. What's happening? There you go. That way, Jan from accounting. Ambiguous. Yes. Yeah, Jan from accounting knows that, you know, you're business, but you like to party. Right. You come in with a Dilbert tie, they say, this guy is not going to be bogged down by the mundane rules and kept in a box. He's going to bust it out. As someone who sold men's... You know, ties. Men's furnishings. Men's furnishings. Yes, men's furnishings. Where, where does the pocket square come in? I, how, love, I love a pocket square. And how, and how important is it to the overall look? It depends on the uh, the situation. You know, I didn't have a corporate job, so I could be, I'd wear a pocket square. You know, if you're, if you're watching Mad Men, you just saw that little slip of white handkerchief. Uh, very conservative, very classic. Uh, then you can get a little more flamboyant. I, it depends on it depends on where you're going, but I enjoy a pocket square. You know, I like I like to jazz it up a little bit. Get pocket square, nice bow tie. Well, now Some I know. Cuff- what the- yes, maybe someone would say, "Can you match a tie with these eyes?" One day I'm going to actually make you laugh out loud, Tom. It's going to be, uh, and then I'm going to mic drop and I'm going to walk right out of here. So if you want to get rid of me, you might as well just laugh quick and then uh, get me out. 
312-981-7200. A lot of things on the table. Uh, Carl wants to jump in. Hi, Carl. How you doing? I am well, thanks. Good, great subject. Ties, ties, ties. I, w- <laughs> I was in sales. Um, I used to go to Herbs to get to, and yes. I used to... I used to pick them clean of their of their really hot suits. Uh-huh. There weren't a lot of them. You had to really dig, 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 dig. And their ties, and their ties. I would dig, 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 dig. I had a collection of suits and ties that it was it was drop dead. Unbelievably, the ties were just gorgeous. I don't know who did these ties. They were artists or whatever, you know, with fruit and, oh, and yeah. all kinds of stuff on the ties. I swear to God, when I when I would go when I was go to customers' offices, I'd be talking to them, and I swear they would get lost in my tie. <laughs> I'd be talking to them, explaining the product, and saying, "Yeah, you know, this is great. The competition is good, but we're we're much better." Blah blah blah, and everything. They would be staring at my. T- <laughs> I'm telling you. So you agree, Carl? The tie is where a guy can make a statement. Unbelievable. They were lost in my tie. Now I still have these ties. I still have the suits, but they don't fit. But I have these ties, and I'm older now, and I'm trying to think, I would really like to wear these ties. And I used to wear, I used, to, I usually wore a white shirt, but every once in a while I would, I would get a real, real, real light gray uh, shirt, you know, a, a little colored shirt. Right, yeah. And the suits were mostly in, in your grays and blues, but every once in a while I'd get like a, a green with a lot of blue in it, and uh, and the ties would would blend in. And I was I was the number one salesman in the United States and Canada in 1984. Wow! And I swear it was my ties. It was the ties. It's like that old uh, Nike convert. It's got to be the ties. <laughs> It had to be the ties. It had to be the ties. Now I'm thinking to myself, okay, maybe I could give buy a couple of white uh, short sleeve shirts for summer, and and I, I have a couple of antique cars, and I have a group of guys where we do car uh, get-togethers. I don't know if we're going to be able to do it this year or not. And I All thought right. to myself, hey, what an idea! I'll get I'll get a white short sleeve shirt and haul out some of my old ties and just put my ties on, and, yeah. and just to kind of relive it and reminisce in my ties because. I miss my I, I miss my ties. I miss my ties. I love that, Carl. And then you can hypnotize all your car buddies. And they'll be like, Carl, we, we don't even know who you are anymore. What absolutely. Is- absolutely. They'd be saying, you know what? You have a fascinating personality. You're you're a deep person. I never right. realized it before. And it would be the tie doing it, you know? Exactly. We yeah. used to think you were a schlub, Carl. Yeah, let and me, now, let me buy your cow. dinner tonight. <laughs> Oh no 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 no! Let me please. I gotta buy your dinner. You're you're a fascinating person. Okay, okay. It's all the ties. I love it. And Irv's was a great place to buy suits. Oh man, I'm telling you, I would pick them clean. Yeah. Of, of the good stuff, there was a lot of stuff. You know, they were they were good, but there was a lot of stuff that was so so. Right. Every once in a while, you'd see a suit color or a, especially ties. I would come out with two, two or three ties every once in a while that were just drop dead gorgeous. I wish I could show you these ties. You'd probably look at them and you'd say, "You know, Carl, you are an interesting." Person. I would, Carl. You might be. You might, in fact, be the most interesting man in America. 
Well, you take care. Good stuff. You, you too. Take, take care, care man. I appreciate it. Uh, let's say hi to Mel. He's in Chicago. Hey, Mel. Yeah, yeah I'm right. Here. Yeah, I'm right here, Brian. You got a good show going. Thank and uh, Carl, by the way, you're preaching to the choir around the choir. <laughs> Listen, man. When you, <laughs> oh, thank you very much. When you were working at a Fields uh, uh, back in that day, member member in the lower lower level, which was also as big as a parking lot. As big as an airport, uh, they, they would have the so-called lesser uh, styles, and they would bring in the new stuff upstairs on the, on the third or fourth floor or whatever. Oh, see, I wasn't at the State Street store. I was out at the River Oaks store. Well, uh, what year, roughly, would you say? Oh, my goodness. Late 80s. Okay, okay. Late 80s. Okay, okay. What? Do you have Jerry Garcia ties there? Yes. Oh, yeah. We had the Jerry, <laughs> sure, we had the Jerry Garcia ties. There were I, I loved all those big pattern ones, but the, the Jerry Garcia ones were very popular. Now, you were a younger kid back then, right? Yeah. So, so you had the thing with the fashion back then with the ties, and then you sold what have you to the uh, you know, on the conservative side. So you were kind of uh, caught between both ends of the middle, right, in a sense? Yeah, I would, you know, and I think that would help because I had, like I said, my dad was very well-dressed, but he was more conservative, so I had that as as like a model. And then I would have the Jerry Garcia ties or the uh, Perry Ellis, when Perry Ellis ties were a big deal back then. Yeah, also Paisley. Yes, Paisley's big polka dots. Yes. Uh, then there was the the line of Beatles ties. That's another novelty tie, Tom. I'd have the yellow submarine tie. Or yeah, the, yeah, that you know. was hot. Yeah, yeah, let me get this out while I got you on. It's uh, so like you mentioned, you know, uh, the tie made the difference. You know, it changed the tie, what have you. You know, if you're going out later or whatever. Okay, okay. What you do, what really stands out, like you say, what, what Carl said, they were staring at the tie and all that. Believe me, Brian, pinch the knot. You know, after you... You know, after you fix the tie and all that, pinch the knot. The knot would stick out maybe three inches from your chest. Yep. Three about three inches from just you know, just below where your throat is at, and it would make that it would help make that statement. Yes, I agree. Now, how do you feel about a tab collar, Mel? That because that also would do the same thing with the knot of the tie. Well, well, well. Back then, that tab collar, you had that two-and-a-half-inch or whatever metal pin that you you slipped through that collar. There was there was that, and then there was the one that just had the fabric that buttoned underneath the, yes. underneath the knot. Yeah, yeah. Well, believe me, back then, that brought out the, the you know, that helped bring out the uh, shape of that tie, so it, so it would stand out some more. See, and I would think, now, Mel, you and I and Carl, we're having a fascinating conversation. I would think Tom would be <laughs> taking notes, and yet... Nothing. He's he's happy with his denim shirt. He has no no quest for the sartorial splendor that you and I are describing here. Well, I you're very understand. kind. Yeah. The uh, one liner regarding ties. Remember, I'm sure your dad told you uh, what have you. Whatever you do, whatever you do, the style of ties never fall out of favor. Always, you know, you never get rid of ties. Right. You know, back in the day, back in the day with the. Uh, you know, some of the uh, you know, those black stiletto ties, and then you had the the clasp or whatever on top, a little maybe uh, country and western look, and then the 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 uh, you know the conservative uh, uh, what have you, without mentioning real names anyway. Then the wide mod look and so on and so right. forth. But 
but you might have had 9,700 ties, but you, <laughs> but you always had something to wear for whatever mood or occasion you were in. Yeah, you never, you never knew, and a lot of, uh, and they'd, they'd go out of style and then they'd come back. Mel, I appreciate the call. Have a great morning. Thanks a lot. Pleasure as always, Brian. You take, take care. care, man. You, you too. too. See, Tom, you're learning things, Tom. I'm learning a lot. You're, listen, you're learning a lot. And that's that's what we're here to do. We're here to talk to each other and share knowledge. That's what we're doing. See, I I know you know you probably that this part of me probably surprises you that I was once a uh, you know a highly in demand <laughs> men's furnishing salesperson. Honestly, a little bit, but I, I can sure I does. can see it. I can see I can see it. I can see you <laughs> strutting your stuff. You know, maybe wearing a, a more flamboyant pastel color palette. I. Uh, I will tell you, this is the honest to God's truth. At one point in my life, I had a turquoise linen double-breasted suit and a purple double-breasted You're, linen suit. You are taking the mick right now. No way. I, the, 100%. Look at this man. I, uh, this was, and I actually, the turquoise, I, I looked like, I looked like I was one of the temptations. Anytime <laughs> I would wear these suits, I would look, I'm I sure look it was like tempting. one of the temptations. And it was great. And the only person other than myself and my wife, who liked these suits, my grandma, my the my brothers ripped me nonstop. I wonder. My I wonder dad why. just shook his head. <laughs> I loved these suits, and my grandmother, bless her soul, she was like, "I love your colored suits." Well, were you auditioning for Miami Vice? I mean, probably. That, I mean, at some point, they were just they were great. They were, and then I dress. I could dress it up. I could either wear. A shirt and tie with them, or I could just wear like a uh, a patterned shirt underneath, and there you go. I would wear them on stage. I would wear them out, wear them all over the place. Now tomorrow we uh, we've talked fashion tonight. We'll probably talk something else tomorrow. What do we have on tap for tomorrow? Anything yet? No, tomorrow probably we're gonna not. be yeah talk with our friends from uh, over at the takeout. Okay, we're gonna talk about we're gonna yeah, talk food tomorrow. Yeah, and Larry Schmidt as well, a great uh, funny guy. You mean Lenny Schmidt? Lenny Schmidt. Pardon Lenny me. Schmidt. Uh, oh, I like I like Lenny Schmidt. Uh, Larry Schmidt. He and I go back a ways. I'm not a fan. So you cancel Larry Schmidt. Get Lenny Schmidt. We'll get on. Lenny. Get Lenny Schmidt. There we I'm go. good. I'm I'm gonna be here. You bring Larry in. There's gonna be there's gonna be some trouble. Because he owes me money, quite frankly, from back in the day. Plus, I stole his girlfriend in high school. But that's a whole other story. Listen, we got to start getting out of here because, uh, oh, we got to go now. All right, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being part of the program. Bye.